first time ever. Hear you loud and clearly. Um, and it was going place. That stuff's great. But the game is not a roguelike. Boomer shooter. <laughs> Bang. Hello, this is John St. John, and you're listening to KWEP In The Keep, bringing you all the hits from the finest in the world of gaming and entertainment. Now sit back and relax as the drowned god Cathala lulls your mind with the tastiest talk in town. Welcome to another chapter of In The Keep podcast. I'm your very own prophet of the drowned god, the Motherlode. The Keep is a collective of gaming enthusiasts compelled by the drowned god Cathala to frag and jib one another into oblivion for all eternity. Hello, 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 folks. It's good to be back in the keep. Welcome. This week's guest is none other than the one and only Bridgeburner. It has been a long time coming. I'm very very proud to present this to you i will warn you ahead of time uh tried a new recording method for the show it uh crashed about 30 minutes into the recording so i didn't have any good audio for it on my end so i asked Bridgeburner to pick it up on his end and send it to me i did my best there is some pretty strong echo with my voice that i've done everything that i can to kind of mitigate it's not going to go away completely but I genuinely hope that it doesn't bother you too much and you're able to enjoy this wonderful conversation with Bridgeburner because I think he's incredible and it would be such a shame to throw it all out at this point. Uh, that said, this is a really good interview, like for real. We, we talk about a lot of stuff. We talk about you know how we got into mapping, uh, all the CAC awards that he swept up this past year, the behind what will ultimately become... Hellforge Studios, all the other great maps that are going on out there, a lot of great creators and everything, people that he's collaborated with. We're going to talk about heavy metal. We're going to talk about uh, religion. This is a diverse, long interview. It's about two and a half hours long, so I'm not going to bore you too much right up here up front. Just uh, kick back and enjoy this wonderful music by Primeval. This is from the Age of Hell soundtrack. I hope you enjoy it, and when it is over, you will be in the key. With Bridgeburner.
this is a, a great moment. I've been trying to get to Bridge Runner on the show for quite a long time. Not like actively, I just like knew I wanted to do it. And finally it's happening. So, in a strange turn of events, the way I planned this bridge was for it to be in the evening for you and the morning for me. Because you're in uh, New Zealand, I'm in the United States of America. And I really wanted it to be like a you show up and you're like all chipper and like your, your evening self for the stream. And I'm totally cool, chill, relaxed. But how it ended up working out because you got a fucking cold <laughs> was all right, we catch Mother Load in the evening and Mother Load's had a few drinks and Bridgeburner's going to show up after a nice day at the gym, just working out and getting all fucking fit and shit. And uh, here we are. It's going to be a totally different dynamic than what I prepared for. Here we are. Let's go. Oh, thanks for having me on. How the fuck are you? Oh, I'm very fucking good. Um, yeah, excited <laughs> about this. I think it's going to be fun. And, uh, drunk Mother Load is always good Mother Load. Uh, well, we're not quite there yet, but by the time this is over, we can, we'll see what happens. Uh, as opposed to the New Year's stream that you promised was to be like, okay, it'll be three out, two hours, hours, yeah, two and a half hours, hours uh, five, fucking five hours, hours later, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to interview, uh, but actually, Spud Hunter is one of the people that I have, like, long since went on the show. Like, I've always wanted to interview Spud Hunter since at least two years. And by the time it happens, <laughs> A, it's New Year's Eve. So I've, I've had a few drinks and B, I am tired. What time I was, was that like, for you? Dead. Huh? What time was that for you? I have no idea. <laughs> no, no Very fucking late. It, 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 it was a complete, I knew I had, so I told you I had New Year's Eve off, but mm. I had to work on New Year's Day. So I was trying to line my schedule up so that I could have fun on New Year's Eve, but still be in bed on time. Did not happen. Did not happen. No, you did well. You held it together for, for just enough, I think, to, um, to to keep it together to the end. But just fading there a little bit. It was it was it was great. <laughs> uh, that clip will haunt me to the end of time for sure. But that's Perfect. okay. You Perfect. know what? It's not your fault. It's not. Well, it's my fault. Actually, it is one hundred percent my fault. But I, I've, I'm so excited to interview. Like this is one of the moments that I've been kind of like in my head preparing for for a long time and you cleaned up the CAC awards this year like top to bottom pretty much like I don't I don't I can't even think has anyone ever won more CAC awards in one year than you have mate possibly but yeah it, it's definitely a rarity I think normally they like giving credit of the year to like last year, they gave it to Akira, who made OTX last year, year before. Um, mm -hmm. So they give it to someone who isn't normally eligible or has won CAC awards in the past. Why well, let's recognize this person's contributions? I, I think it is kind of unusual to kind of um, collect that kind of uh, clean sweep kind of thing happening. Um, but um, yeah, like it's still a slightly surreal moment for me. Um, you know, I've only been really involved in the Doom community for a few years now. And um, yeah, <laughs> kind of climbed the peak, as it were. We're, we're going to dig into that topic more as we go, because it's a big topic for me. And actually, uh, I think some of the people listening will resonate with that. But first of all, I want to say like this year, of all the issues that I may have with the CAC Awards, they made one fantastic choice other than you. I mean, you're a great choice, obviously. But uh, James Quasar Haley 
definitely deserved his award. Mm. Lifetime achievement. Yeah. Like that that guy has been flying under the radar for so fucking long and what what he's been on the show before very briefly like it, he's one of those like just introverted people like an interview with him is kind of like pulling it out of you like please just just <laughs> say what's on your mind kind of thing but it absolutely deserves everything that he got and and should be awarded 10 times over i think but yeah and like just the shit he's done they do often uh, make good calls with yeah. the SPs. Like they, they do try and recognize people who have been those quiet achievers a lot of the time. Like even um like even Jimmy, who got it last year, like he's got a recognizable body of work, but he's he is a very down to earth, humble person. Um and I think historically, yeah. like the the, the 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 SP awards have really felt really deserving, really worthy. Like you can't really argue about them. It's like, no, that's fair enough. Um like I don't know a huge amount about Quasar, but I have heard the name. And I know they've contributed a lot. And even I thought, like, yeah, that's, that's fair enough. You know, um, that definitely was one. Quasar, he works for uh, my buddy uh, Steve McKick over at uh, mm. Night Dive Studios, right? So the recent Doom 64 port was mm. in large part Quasar's work, amongst many, many other things in the Doom community. Mm. But like, that was kind of the thing that when that came out, like, that. That particular port of Doom 64, bringing it to the vast audience that it did. Well, it got me into it. it we got to give credit to Kaiser, too. For Kaiser is probably the most creditable person over there um, at, at Night Dive. But just the, the vast time that he's spent in the Doom community doing what he's done, I... I couldn't think of anyone that like deserves yeah. like you should be credited like it, it, maybe even not like a lifetime achievement or I don't I don't give a fuck what it is but like he needs his name some sort of recognition yeah. and I'm sure it is he's probably got like a dozens of Watt awards in there that I'm not aware of or whatever but yeah super cool and to have your name tacked on to that list of amazing people is I mean whatever you think about the CAC awards that's that's a big deal. It, is, it, it like, belongs there. It belongs there. Um, and like, you know, I've never been, I've always, because I've, I've known about the Cacquats for a long time, um, you know, for over a decade or so, and I've played a lot of the winners back you know, in the early 2000s and stuff when I was playing a lot of Doom. And um, it was always something that I thought would be pretty cool if I ever got one. But it was it's never been like a huge driving force for me as like as nabbing that award. Um, and like if, if I if Bastion hadn't got one this year, I would have been a little bit disappointed. But it wouldn't have it wouldn't have crippled me. Like it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have crushed my will to live. Um, but um, it, even not having that really like hard focus on it, it's still a big fucking deal. And like I told my brother, younger brother, about it um, when it happened, and he was like, "Oh, the Kaku!" Like he's in no way ultra into classic Doom, but you know, it, 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 thousands of people read those, thousands and thousands of bit. It's big news um, when they come out, and a lot of people pay attention to it. Um, so yeah, it's it's very cool. I mean, it's it's not like the biggest deal in the world as far as like award shows go, but to, to boil it down to like why I think it's important, you are in an elite class now with what will go down in gaming history, and the reason why I believe this, and I tried to explain this to Arlene, and I don't know that she totally like took away what I was trying to say is that um, when people get into Doom and they find out that there's this whole Doom modding community you know they go on YouTube and they find people like Icarus right and and uh, 
shout out to Icarus. I uh, hope to have him on the show someday. But, you know, they're like, how do I play all these amazing, you know, modded maps and you know, total players? Yeah, the Kakawods go, go start here. Like, here is your, your baseline. Go look at Doom World. Yeah. yeah. Um, go look at Doom World. That is the gateway. And yeah. when, once you're in that club, mm. you're in that club forever. Like, mm. that's, until the grid goes down and... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it is definitely a lot of people uh, people starting points, and I remember when I was you know getting it first discovered Doom World and working through the Cack Awards. I think the ten years of Doom had just come out around then, and um, yeah, just like trawling, like not you don't like everything, but there's just just it is the perfect place to start, and you'll you pretty much guarantee that you'll find no matter what the tastes are, you'll find some shit that you like and really enjoy. Um, and even just reading and looking at the screenshots and going, yeah, fuck, that's really cool. Um, it's a, yeah, so many people just, yeah, that is their first introduction to classic Doom um, after they've played, you know, the iWads. And like, what's next? Oh, we better start here. Um, yeah, uh, it, it's, it does get your get you a fair amount of um, exposure, shall we say, um, uh, having a having a name on that list. So let's let's get on the unicycle of time here and backpedal a little bit. When did a uh, young? Can I call you Anthony, or do you just want to be Bridgeburner? Um, I, I think Bridge. It's like yeah, Anthony's my right. real name, but I, I think Bridge is, is becoming my um, alter ego, and I do actually think of myself a lot as Bridgeburner in this context, and I think that'll probably become a lot of like almost a professional name for me. Um, so yeah, let's go with that. We'll, we'll stick with Bridgeburner, and so when did young Bridgeburner? first discovered you and what was that experience like so um i have told the story a few times it's a good one actually i think um uh so my, my parents are actually semi-gamers like they they were, they were computer games in my house when i was growing up because mum and dad like playing computer games and um uh like civilization was was a, a big part of um both mum and dad really liked that game you know grand strategy stuff um, mm-hmm. And so was, you know, I grew up in a, in a household that was very open to, to gaming, and um, you know, uh, it was never a thing that I had to push for, um, which was really cool. And um, uh, uh, real time strategy uh, was my dad's real passion, um, and he's a big fan of the book Dune. So when Dune Two came out, it was like Mum was like, "We're going to get that for Dad for his birthday." Um, uh, so um, and she didn't quite get it right. She got doom <laughs> by accident. <laughs> so she goes out just by like, doom, doom sounds about the same. So oh, this must be the right game. You know, big, big game on the shelf. And I came home with that. Dad opens up. So he's like, what's this? <laughs> just like, yeah. And so we, as a fact, everyone in my family played doom for a little bit, including mum. Um, I don't think it was quite a thing, but um, that was my, yeah, that was, that was, that was doom one. And um, I, I um, yeah, remember, Got you know, snippets of memories when I was what would have been like eight or ten or something like that, um, uh, playing that, and um, uh, I didn't like I wasn't obsessed with it. I didn't get to get pulled into it, but that was my first exposure to Doom and FPS gaming. I thought, oh, this is pretty cool. But I, I like my parents that strategy games were, were more my shtick when I was younger, and RTS is kind of like my first love. Um, uh, you know, your Command and Conquers and Warcraft. Although I wasn't a huge fan of Blizzard, I was more of a Westwood Studios fanboy, um, and Dune 2 was still one of the greatest RTS ever made, um, um, despite all its uh, clunky features. But um, 
uh, yeah, that, that, thinking back, I was like, that was that's pretty funny. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that was my first exposure to Doom, and while it wasn't a, a, a really seminal moment, um, it was the kind of the, the seed that was planted. Uh, it's really interesting because I, I know about you that you're an avid reader, and I, I know that a lot of what is you comes from being a reader. And mm. may, is that kind of inspired by your dad? Uh, yeah, again, so mum and dad, huge readers. Like, you know, just they, they weren't they weren't pushy about it. Like, mum, my parents, huge amount of respect for my parents um, uh, for how they raised us kids. And there's five of us, so we're a big family. And um, they didn't push ideas on us. They didn't say, we want you to go, you know, to university or we want you to study this or we want you to read lots. It's just they just made an environment where it was there and openly done. So parents have, like, hundreds of books. Um, so again, I grew up in a household that that, listened, that read a lot of books, lots of fantasy and sci-fi, and I, that's still my, my passion in terms of reading. Um, but my dad listened to a lot of music, um, so I grew up listening to lots of music. And again, music is a passion. So I, I can actually trace trace a lot of my interests back to what mum and dad did when I was growing up, and it was just in the house. So um, while it wasn't here is a book you must read it, there was definitely a lot of reading in in, in my home growing up, and um, you know really made an impact i was like hmm, dad do a lot of this reading thing maybe i should read and um and uh, in my tastes definitely um are similar you know uh, similar themes so i grew up reading things like you know also scott card and greg bell as kind of like great 90s sci-fi writers dad read me the hobbit when i was four <laughs> um which was a bold and a bold move as a parent i don't read my kid a story hmm the hobbit <laughs> the first chapter what the idea the idea was like he read a, cha- a chapter every time he sat down the first chapter was like 40 fucking pages long or something <laughs> <laughs> and it's it, every time we talk about it, he says, "I regretted it like five pages in, but to his credit, I stuck with it and, and, and got through it. And yeah, you know, that instilled you know, a love of fantasy in me. And you know, can't really go wrong with starting with a bit of Tolkien there. Um, uh, so yeah, no, I think you know that that's definitely had a big impact on me. Um, and um, yeah, particularly the fantasy stuff, I fucking love that. Yeah, I've got to keep in mind to some extent that like this is an interview, but like also talk about myself a little bit i had the opposite experience right like so my parents were not readers or gamers of any kind well i should say my dad was very much into games but like console gaming not not the same kind of shit that we're into now so you know the the old mother load legend is like how my dad introduced me to duke nukem by playing uh time to kill hmm. but with reading it, it would happen like this my parents would you know i would be in trouble because i was really shitty kids sometimes <laughs> and i'm sure my mom will listen to this at some point and be like oh no you were perfect but she knows that's not true and we were all shitty kids at some time <laughs> she, she would she would ground me like you're grounded from video games you're grounded from tv you're grounded from fucking everything yep <laughs> and and she'll tell this story to this day she'll, like if you talk to my mother these probably been the first story she told you she'd ground me from everything and I'd be like, cool, I'm going to go read a book mm. and fuck you. <laughs> like, it's like, yeah, like it gets, gets into your room. I'm okay with that. <laughs> I got books in there. I'll be fine. I'll see you in a couple hours. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, I had a pretty high reading level. Like I, I was reading, you know, like uh, Lemony Snicket was really mm. cool when I was like that age. And, uh, but like classics, like I read like The Time Machine. I read mm. uh, Moby Dick. Like that, that kind Across of shit. Yeah, I read a bit of that when I was a kid. Yeah, it's it's good. That's yeah. good stuff. <laughs> and Moby Dick is that's a contrary to popular, <laughs> that's a comedy. 
I feel like people don't get it. Moby Dick is not a serious book. It is 100% a comedy. I think more and like the know writing style, it's very weighty prose. <laughs> yeah. Because I tried to read, yeah. I tried to read I, Charles Dickens when I was a kid because I've heard about Dickens as this great writer. My parents had a couple like Tale of Two Cities and, and a couple others on their shelf and I picked, and I got maybe a paragraph and I was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> People read this? This is garbage. Um, but it was just like the style of the writing was just so just, yeah, dripping with portentous foreboding and I, I like ominous. It's just like, no, nah, this is too clunky. <laughs> um, it was in a time where there were no distractions, right? Like, yeah. it's just either read this book or fucking light a candle. Yeah, there. <laughs> like, you know? Read this book or die so, of the plague. These are your choices. <laughs> <laughs> But, I tried to read Victor yeah, Hugo I, I as well and had a similar experience who wrote The Hunchback of Notre Dame and I was like, I got maybe 50 pages and I was like, no, nah, I can't do this. <laughs> oh, the, the move is to find the classics that Christopher Lee read because yes. he did he did some great ones, man. He did uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Yeah, it's a good one. Which is a really hard book to voice act for mm. because it requires... Like in one scene, you have a Texas accent, a Dutch accent, mm. like a, an English guy. Like it's like fucking good luck. But you know, Christopher Lee's the legend. He's fucking awesome. Yeah. So like he knocked out the park. But uh, we didn't come here to talk about literature, Rich. We came here to talk about you. And I guess the point I'm trying to make is that what I, I've gotten to know you pretty well over the past few months, and. I, I gotta admit, like, I've never been compelled by streaming. Like, I've always thought, like, watching people play video games is fucking stupid. I even <laughs> kind of thought that about people who watch me play video games. I, I don't mean that as an insult. It's just, like, that's how I really feel. No, like, it, is a bit of a, it is a bit of a play... ridiculous conceit. I definitely agree. Because uh, I grew up, that is not a thing. Definitely not. And people joked yeah. about, like, a job as a video game player. Like, there's Gary Larson cartoons around it that I remember laughing at as a kid. Like, yeah, like, literal comics about professional gamers as a complete, like, piss take, complete satire. And, like, here we are now, you know, 25 years later, and it's just, like, this is actually a legitimate career for it. That is a strange thing. It's like, I'm going to watch people play computer games. Very odd. I mean, even as a, as an avid gamer, as, a, as someone who makes their fucking money off of talking about video games, I still mostly feel that way. Like, it's just, like, I don't want to watch some motherfucker just like be oh, I'm quirky and play games. Like I, I'll just play the game. I, I remember visiting a really good friend of mine and his, his son had this amazing, he's a pretty rich guy. He worked for Intel and you know, some big tech companies. He had the biggest train, like just classic train set you ever saw in your life. Nice. And his son, instead of playing with the fucking train set, would just like be on his tablet, watching some other kid play with the same Exact goddamn train set. I'm like, what is this? You have the train. You know, uh, that's that's quite strange. You, your stream uh, I, is one that I genuinely tune in for. And, I mean, like, you've kind of ruined a lot of my creative life over the past <laughs> few months. Because I'm like, I should be doing shit, but I want to hang out with Bridgeburg. Like, <laughs> I'll like I'll dip out on people. I'll be like in the middle of something. I'll be like, "Oh, Bridges on stream. I, I got to go watch that." Like I'm, I'm going to go hang out over there. I'll both apologetic and please. <laughs> so, so how did you how did you get into the streaming game? When what made you kind of take that step? It was quite an odd one actually. So, because um, yeah, um, like you, I never really 
yeah, what watched much streamers or, or YouTube casting up until maybe about four years ago. Because uh, I do like it as a background noise um, when I'm mapping or playing another game. Like playing like grindy ARPGs were my thing for like fucking forever since Diablo came out. I yeah, love um, ARPG games and they're a bit monotonous. Like there's that's part of the mechanic, so it's good to have something distracting on while you're grinding loot or farming experience or whatever. So you chuck a, chuck a YouTube video on and I just kind of like started watching um, yeah, a bit of StarCraft casting or something like that. And um, and that kind and then um, that looped into watching like some Doom speedruns and UV Max runs and you know people who are good at classic Doom and there's another thread to that story as well. Um, but um, that got me into Twitch. It's like okay, this this name, these names that I recognise on the YouTube, they also stream. And I can't remember exactly how I first found my first stream, but that started me down that path and I'd be doing something else and watching a streamer. And I would just, just lurk and, and have them in his background noise. And then um, I think uh, it might have been John Sweetpea, maybe, the first one that actually engaged him. Um, pretty cool British that dude. Was job. Yeah. And, still, um, like uh, still streaming, still, still awesome. Um, he, um, hey, yeah, it started engaging and it's just like, well, this is pretty fun. And that was that was about the time I started getting into mapping again as well. So after a long hiatus and, um, and, uh, the idea just there was just a seed that planted into my head like late 2018. Um, I wonder if people would like to watch me map because Dragonfly uh, in that year did a lot of mapping streams. Um, so I watched I watched a fair amount of him. Um, and there are a couple other people that don't stream anymore that did a bit of mapping. So I do mapping on stream. And I've gotten mm-hmm. you know balls deep into mapping at that point again. And um, and it's just just a just a little a light bulb, tiny little light bulb went into my head. I was like. Fuck I wonder if I should try this because I am quite introverted. It was, a, it was a very weird, weird idea for me to have, and I've no background in it. I've never like been in like a fucking voice chat or any like nothing like that ever before at that point. New to Discord, then um, just getting into involved in the, in the Doom community through that, and yeah, this little little idea and it just sat there, just t- ticking over for for a few weeks, and I was like, well, fuck it, I'll um, I'm gonna buy a webcam and a mic and see how this goes. Just give it a, give it a shot. Costs you nothing. There's nothing. Costs you nothing like your pride. A uh, bit of time um, uh, to get involved and um, set up my first stream. And um, at that point, I you know, made a few kind of like casual friends um, uh, via Discord. So it helped having you know even just a small handful of people come and watch that first stream. And it went for seven hours. <laughs> it's like I obviously enjoyed that. <laughs> so it, it was it was just felt really natural to me for some reason. Just because I I when I map. Like I, I have this constant kind of stream of consciousness in my head when I'm when I'm doing stuff, and um, uh, a pretty hyperactive imagination. So it's just a case of like decanting my thoughts and actually speaking them out loud as I was mapping. So the whole like interacting thing, while yeah, I'm not a big extroverted bubbly character, it was just it just felt quite easy to vocalize what I was doing, and um, it was just a lot of fun, and it was. Still pretty stop start initially, like I probably streamed like three times in a month, and then I went for like a couple of months not doing much, and just yeah, it was. But I came back to it uh, even after it, it, um, end of twenty eighteen was a little bit of a rough patch, and it was like you know, um, after that I was like, no, it's, it's not a shot. And twenty eighteen was was good fun, and um, and uh, got to a bit of a regular rhythm streaming on the weekends, the odd midweek stream, and it culminated in um, the first of the twenty four hour streams, which is a dumb idea that I got on my head for twenty uh, twenty nineteen. It's like fuck it. If we get to 500 followers by the end of this year, we're going to do a 24-hour stream. And um, it was pretty touch and go whether I was going to get to the number. 
and big shout out to Dracu, uh, the, the speedrunner, because um, uh, I was mentioned in his. Uh, oh no, I think he's drawing tweet. That's fucking massive, massive, massive character. He's awesome dude as well. Really lovely. Um, uh, did the amazing 2016 Doom mm-hmm. uh, runs. Yeah, yeah, and Doom uh, Three. Uh, he had the record for Doom Three for a while, I think. Um, yeah, and. Um, he, I think he got word, uh, got word of it by a tweet, and he like he like raided me once and said, "You know, follow Bridge." So he has to stream for twenty four hours, and then I went and watched the stream a few days later. The young said, said, "Thanks for the raid, man." And he said, "Oh, have you got to five hundred? It was like a couple off." And he went like he went and then followed me to tip me over to five hundred. And um, it's like, oh, no, I'm gonna do it. So yeah, huge, huge shout out for Dracu because not only because that was just a, a really nice gesture, but I think that was a real high point for me. That stream that was a heap of fun. Um, it's still one of the, the like most popular streams in terms of view numbers that I've had. Um, absolute blast. And I think that that experience, like, I actually really enjoy this. Um, and then 2020, despite being a bit of a clusterfuck for a lot of people, like things that like having lockdowns meant that I could focus on a lot of streaming and work was really quiet. So I could focus on a lot of streaming. And this year I, I almost cracked 1500 hours um, of streaming, which is, you know, 26 or 27 hours average a week, which is when you think about having a, job on the side of that it's that's a lot um so this year in particular i've really committed to a, a, a very pretty strict schedule um like regular kind of streams on different days of the week like tuesday's my playtesting stream and a few more events we're doing the speed mapping we did the, the 24-hour stream again and um yeah it's just it's it, it, yeah it started from a really random thought and turned into something that i absolutely love it's just a hell of a lot of fun um but um, the other part of it, and um, I just wanted to mention this, and um, one of the other things that I found, I've talked about this with other people, and, they, they, and um, uh, Eris has just started streaming and found the same thing, is streaming when I'm mapping makes me unbelievably productive. If I'm not, if I'm just mapping, YouTube happens and I go get some food and I start reading the news or so, yeah, I just get distracted all the fucking time. Um, and, but if I'm, if I'm streaming, I can't not map. I have to, like, there's an audience, there's people watching here, they're expecting me to do this. Yeah. It puts pre- it's like an external pressure source, it's almost like a, an authority telling me you must map. And it, it focuses me. And, it, and I, I think that that's a big part of why I've been so productive and a big part of why I, I make myself stream is because I know it's good for me in terms of uh, output um, as well as being fun. So you know, it's, um, it's, there's a great synergy there for me personally with, with mapping and streaming. And, um, uh, yeah, it really gets me throwing those lines down. I think that's a fundamental difference between you and I, uh, as we found many over a few months together. Um, I literally hate streaming. I hate it. Like I can't. I I love like the fact that it exists. I love being part of it. Like I I like shoutcasting for Mm. multiplayer events. Like that's really fun for me. Um, But I find the act of streaming to be so exhausting like it just drains me socially um and to see guys like like you like uh, people that i'm fans of 40 lions that can just do it and just Mm. go is uh it's almost like watching an olympic athlete like from my perspective i'm like how could you possibly exert that Mm. much energy and i I know you have your little tips and tricks like i know that you kind of like lower down the discord chat and kind of like have that audible but not fully mm. in your scope of what you're doing but i am curious like how how do you maintain the energy um to do something like that i think it's um because it is weird because i like i said before i am 
largely introverted. Uh, very, I don't like going out. <laughs> it takes too much energy. Like you're you know, kind of like yourself. Social situations are pretty. I find kind of tiring, uh, particularly big ones. Uh, yeah, free friends kind of thing is my my kind of social situation. But I can easily like stay inside for a week and read. Um, uh, so it was it was where I think I don't know. I, I actually don't know. I think it's quite strange that. Um, uh, how much I enjoy it, but I do really enjoy it. And when I when I have fun, when I'm enjoying something, that's I, I put an, an inordinate amount of energy into it, and and I can kind of like ride the high. Um, and yeah, you'll see my weekend streams go for twelve hours plus on a regular basis, uh, which is quite unusual um, for any streamer like that. And yeah, I'll, I'll I'll be tired by the end of it, but I'll have the energy to go again the next day and the next week. Um, and I, I think it is just I have so much fun. Um, that that gives me energy, and um, uh, yeah, it's it's kind of strange to be honest. Um, but I'm not going to question it. I'm just going to harness it. <laughs> I, I think you should take the ball and run. Yeah, and, and at this point, I, in kind of transition the conversation into your productivity, because like, we've talked a little bit about the fact that you map. But let's let's start from the beginning. Like, when did you? first start mapping because we got to see the retrospective mm. uh you know, it's your closest fans in the 24-hour stream like of like this is where bridge started to where you are now but where did mapping become an interest for you and then we'll kind of work our way up to like where you are now yes yeah, so um we talked to you know uh, chris about where i started with doom and was my first experience between that there was a big gap probably five years six years something like that yeah um, and a, a friend I made at high school, um, who still friends with me, he's in the, in the Discord, goes by the name of Zevran there. He's my, my d- dungeon master for D&D. Uh, we've got D&D sessions tonight. Yeah. One of my closest friends. Been friends with him for 20 years. Um, and he's always been a big fan of Doom. Um, he, he probably, up until recent, you know, the last 10 years, I'd say he was much more into Doom than I was. Um, certainly, certainly as a, a teenager. And, um, and like he bases D&D maps on Doom maps. From like like the living end from Doom Two and stuff like that, and like it was obsessed with the music and knew like which ones were covers of real metal songs. He's a big metalhead as well. He actually got me into metal, and um, so very cool guy, very cool guy. And um, so we, he got me back into Doom. He introduced me to Doom Two because before, well, that had been about I guess nineteen ninety eight ish. I I'd played Doom Two before, and um, so he introduced me to that. I go around to his house and we played Doom. And um, we'd do things like set up, uh, put on god mode, go into the icon of sin map and just see how many monsters could spawn and like try and manipulate it so different enemies would kind of own the, the various tiers. Like we'll put, get the Mancubus to win that tier and then the Hell Knights can be on that tier. And then, and yeah, just like stupid bullshit like that it was great fun. But he discovered an editor called Deep Sea, which is um, pre- precursor to Doom Builder, but kind of after the real DOS-based stuff um, that um, like death and um, like those really old school editors um, that are, uh, are very hard to use. Deep Sea was the precursor to Doom Builder, which has you know been continued through to this day and is like the premier editor. So it was the first one where the, that that kind of layout with the, the way that it works is very still essentially the same kind of base concepts to the, the modern editors today. And there's this you can get it for free, cool. Let's, let's grab that. And like, he was like, oh, "I want to make a Doom map." I was like, "Well, that's fucking cool." And I watched him make a Doom map, and um, and I was like, "Oh, I'm gonna try that as well." And um, yeah, we started like just fucking around and 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 making really really shitty maps as people do when they first start doing it. And um, it was just for us. So the idea was to play with this for ourselves and 
not to make maps for the community to play because we didn't even know it existed. And um, it was like another game to play for your own personal enjoyment. So I'm going to make a do map and then I'm going to play it and then you can play it and that'll be the end of it. Um, but the DeFi, the shareware version of Deep Sea had a um, had limitations. So you could only make 800 line maps um, because that was back in the days when shareware was a thing. And you had to buy the full version of Deep Sea, um, which to us seemed normal. I was like, okay, enough, fair enough. You know, it's a commercial product, I guess, you know. And uh, it was $15 and we, we went halves. And it came in the mail on a fucking floppy disk, a three and a quarter inch <laughs> floppy disk. And um, yeah, it was like, oh, here it is. And sure enough, it had an EXE file on it, and you copied that over, and it removed all the limitations. And all of a sudden, we can make much bigger maps. And he, I think about that point, he started to drop off and went back to playing on probably Diablo 2 at that, at that time. I uh, was the big game around then, I think. And um, But I got deeper into it, and I started making more maps and very quickly got into the idea of, oh, well, should, let's try and make a megawatt. And again, just for myself, I just thought this was fun and I just started ticking away and making maps. And I probably kept that up for a year or so, um, just as a fun thing. And then, you know, got distracted by a different game and, and, and stopped uh, stopped using it. So that was like my first foray into mapping. And um, it, it, yeah, like I said, it was all about just like personal enjoyment. And I think that has informed a lot of why I map now as well um, because of the way that I started it it was I still primarily do it because I because I enjoy it um, and um, there was a there was like another resurgence of mapping about 10 years ago um, I can't remember exactly why I decided to go back and look at my old maps but so we'll get back into this and that lasted for a few years and that was around the time Doom Builder 2 was uh, out so I Started with the deep sea, and then I thought, oh, there's actually this new thing called Doom Builder. Ooh, we'll grab that. Oh, there's Doom Builder 2. So I moved that and made some stuff that you could probably recognize some of my current style in. And uh, we did cover that off in the retrospective. There's one map in particular that I still look back on. I'm really proud of that. Um, uh, but I hit the, there was a side def limit. So I sent you a mapping size limit built into Doom Builder, and I hit that, and my map was nowhere near finished. Like, okay, fuck this. <laughs> um, I'm not rebuilding shit. I, yeah, it's like, it's, it was essentially. I was probably burning out anyway, but that was like a, 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 a the straw that broke the camel's back, and, and I was like, all right, we're going to go play Path of Exile for the next six years. <laughs> um, so those were kind of like the two, there were like two kind of like main stints, I think, um, at uh, kind of attempts at mapping. Um, but at no point during those did I ever think to engage in a community. And while that was a kind of a source of strength in a way, mapping for yourself, it meant I got no feedback, positive or negative, constructive, whatever. Um, there was no external drive. And so when I kind of started to lose interest, that interest just waned and dropped off. And like I said, you know, if, I'm, if I'm enjoying something, I'll keep doing it. But if, it, if that enjoyment kind of tapers off, then I'll lose interest very quickly. Um, and it didn't seem like something that I would use later. Like it was like, it was, now I've got other goals, other, other, other intrinsic driving factors but at the time it was just yeah it was just another game to play um so um that was why i had these like long kind of times in the wilderness i guess um uh historically so yeah i technically have been mapping for probably close to 20 years now but i haven't been mapping that whole time um you know i don't have 20 years of experience under the belt what what's interesting is 
the start transition. It's not. It's not that you like done it for so long. Like it, it, there's lots of stories. Like then I garnered an early interest, and then I walked away from it, and then I did something else. Like that's pretty normal. Mm. What's abnormal about it is the fact that when you came back, you came back like as if you had an amount of experience that you objectively did not have. Right. So to jump straight into kind of ba- like the bastion, what, what were the things that led up to bastion of chaos? Like how did you go from is pretty normal experimental projects mm-hmm. to releasing something that was game changing? I mean, I don't think anyone would even <laughs> argue with that. Yeah. So, um, part of that. So 2018 was, Early 2018 was when I, I, I got the bug back and, we're, you know, we're talking about streamers before and it was it was actually watching Doom streamers and then watching Dragonfly Matt and, like, getting, oh, people still play classic Doom. I, like, had no idea. Like, and, like, Twitch has its issues. It's not a perfect company by any means, not even fucking close. But the fact, but it, it, it it's what it's done for small gaming communities and, like, like kind of, like, niche culty followings is fucking massive. It's drawn people together. And Discord's done the same thing. Yes, there's always been Doom World, but Doom World's an odd beast. Um, but Twitch is a very... Twitch and Discord's much more relaxed, very chill, very open. You can go and hang out, watch this person play fucking Doom. And like, these are new Doom... Like, this is, you know, Mr. all playing Stardate 26 or something like that. You know, this is... Someone's just made this kind of thing. And it's it's incredible. This is this is Doom. It's like, oh, wow, this is really, really cool. People make Doom maps. I used to make Doom maps. I wonder if I should make Doom maps again. And again, it was just that, that seed got planted. And so what I did was I on, I, I finally joined Doom World. <laughs> 2018, February was the first time I created a membership there and posted some of my, what I thought was the best work of the last mapping stint. It's like, to see what people thought. You know, do, do, you know if there was good feedback, that might, that'll encourage me. If people were like, oh, this is ugly. Well, then I'd probably park the idea and would have walked away. And that would have been fine. Um, but there was, there was some positive responses. It's like, hmm, maybe I should try this again. And... If you go back to the maps that I started making in twenty eight, early twenty eighteen, there's some good ideas there, but they're pretty rugged. Like there's there's, some, there's definitely some flaws, and but I think because I had enough kind of like technical um, experience with editing, I didn't have to learn how to make a door again. I didn't have to learn how to make a teleporter closet. I could play off three D floors. Um, all those all those kind of like technical elements were still there in my brain. I had to refresh a few things, but it wasn't too hard to get back into it. Um, so I started doing that, and then I discovered GZ Doom. So I had been mapping for Z Doom all the way up till about mid twenty eighteen, and I discovered GZ Doom, and I was just like, "Dynamic lights exist." Hmm. And I actually agonised over whether I would wanted to map around dynamic lighting. And anyone who knows me now is like, "Bridge is all about the dynamic lights." So, but I actually had this fucking like almost a minor crisis. Because <laughs> like, I'd always manually draw shadows. I was upset. Like, I always been obsessed with lighting, but I, I love the control you have where you can draw your own lines and control what the lighting did manually that way. And I was just like, oh, I don't want, to, don't want to leave that behind, but dynamic lights are pretty cool. Um, they do make things a bit easier as well uh, in some cases. And I, I made that transition. And I was in a frenzy uh, that first half of 2018. I made, I looked back and I was like, holy shit, I made a lot of maps. Um, and this was all just me mapping, but I was I was you know, posting screenshots, and I started a dev thread on on Age of Hell on Doomworld, getting a bit of you know people saying cool things. I was like, yep. So then I got that extrinsic motivation as well to go with the intrinsic, and that was a big a big booster. And uh, I was like, yep, like, 
riding the wave. And um, then I got invited to join the Elementalism team, which is um, definitely one of the premier Doom projects uh, that's going to come out. Um, you know, you, th- you think about things like Supplice, um, or Age of Hell, Elementalism is, is, is definitely up there in terms of quality. Some of the best mappers going. Um, objectively awesome. Uh, it, will, it, will, it will stun people when it comes out. Um, but yeah, so getting invited. I had released a map at this point. <laughs> I posted some cool screenshots. But I got like, you know, these people noticed. And Dragonfly was, he was a part of that at that time. He, he dropped out because he, he got involved in projects, which is you know, 100%. Fair enough. Um, I would leave too. Yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, no, I understand that. <laughs> yeah. um, but you know, it's sort of Dragonfly Ball. Um, Dreadnought, like these, you know, this name. Even like, even I knew Dragonfly's name was was big. Um, and that was a huge, uh, like, personal, you know, self esteem boost. And like, holy shit, I, I must have some sort of skill here. Um, if, if these people kind of think that I'm you know, worth uh, engaging with. And there's a bit of an audition process, and I made a thing, and then you know, um, made, made you know, first attempted a map for that project, and they're like, yep, no, this is fucking awesome. Um, and that was a real kick for me. Um, and yes, the, uh, it, it, it was a yeah, a huge, a huge moment, I think. And uh, I built on that and um, got more involved in the communities. And um, but my first map was that I released was for Joy of Mapping Six, which is a uh, essentially a speed mapping event that Jimmy, uh, the legendary Jimmy, um, Mr. Paddock runs um, and or, ha- or has run in the past and it's it's aimed at new mappers. Anyone can map for it but it's, it's to give new mappers a place to come and learn, master the tools to a degree but spit out a map quickly and get a map out there which a lot of people struggle with particularly early on. And that was my that was my first map, a three-day speed map that I made for that. Um, and yeah, it was rough. You know, there's definitely some issues with it but people liked it and I was like, oh, that, was, that was fucking fun. I'm going to do more of this. Um, and you talked about Bastion and how I got there. And I think by the mid, like kind of early 2019 was when the Slaughter Spectrum came out, which was my first um, solo project. And um, again, you know, there's definitely flaws in the designs, but it was like, here is the bridge burner design trope. This is what you see. Here are the curves. Here is the, the lighting. Here is the dark, moody atmospheres. Here is the big, big palacey kind of structures. Um, architectural precision. Weird designs on the floor just because they look cool. And while I was inspired by other mappers, it was definitely something that hadn't really been seen before. And it also combined um, a slaughter style of gameplay that was normally reserved for boom and like really hardcore maps like the Sunders and Dousevolt and things that Bemuse makes um, is another really good mapper. And it's it's like one, you know, GZ Doom slaughter maps didn't weren't really a thing. Um, and um, it probably shouldn't have been as novel as it was, but it was novel enough to get a write-up and uh, not Jabba, who's a Cacklewoods committee member, wrote something called The Roots of Doom Mapping uh, in 2019. Very, very cool article. Definitely recommend going and hunting it down. Um, it's about 40,000 words. It's a proper, proper essay. Um, exploring the history of mapping up until the, the present day. Um, and like it breaks it down into like 12 kind of eras of mapping. And um, and the, the final one, it talks about Adventures of Square, like this total conversion, completely new game in the GZ Doom engine that's still reminiscent of Doom, but its own beast. And it's a, um, unbelievably cool. Um, and a couple other things. And then at the bottom, the sort of spectrum. Um, and he, he called it the Nouveau Hardcore. Like, um, and it was just like, it was like, whoa. <laughs> Me? Trendsetter? 
Okay. Um, and because I got an honourable mention that year for the Slaughter Spectrum as well, which was which was really cool. But it was that article, I think, that made me really think, okay, maybe I am onto something new here that I can kind of tap into and generate some energy around. And yeah, maybe it does become a new mapping style. Um, the fact that this kind of like objective observer picked up on it, someone I've never really interacted with before and who is very knowledgeable about all things Doom. And it, yeah, hmm, I think that's interesting enough to write about. Um, and then it just at that point, it was just more of the same, iterating my designs. And Bastion of Chaos, so last year, because I've been involved in all these big, quite a lot of big projects, yeah, HL Elementism, there's a couple other ones cocking around. And um, I was like, no, I'm going to make a map, one map, mine, and be, make it the best thing I can make. Put all of my energy into it, all my creativity, think really hard about combat. Everything I've learned over the last two years, I'm going to put that into practice and make a singular a singular edifice and, and release that and see what happens. Um, uh, there was the idea in the back of the mind, maybe a Kakut Ward winner, because I'm you know, getting an honourable mention the year before, um, but that wasn't the, the sole focus, and I'm just going to do the best I can possibly do. Uh, and that map took like a good three and a half months to make. Um, there are hundreds, hundreds of hours in that, and uh, that, that's the bridge burner way, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but yeah, immensely proud of Bastion of Chaos. That that like, yeah, couldn't have. I don't think I could have made uh, hope for anything better um, uh, at the time. Um, and yeah, the, the effort paid off. So that's a good point to kind of transition into our first ever fan question and. I've I've never done this before. I'm not sure how it will look in the future, but since you're my little guinea pig, let's try it now. <laughs> I, I'm going to send it to you just so you can read it off in case you don't understand what I'm asking as I ask it. But Amorpher, who, first of all, we have to shout out Amorpher. Legend. Is the best dark ambient composer Ever and is the biggest Doom sixty four. Uh, he is Doom. Like, there were a dick, <laughs> he is Doom sixty four. There were a Morpher would be the biggest whore in the world. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> but uh, he, he asks: Slaughter maps are a style unique to Doom, and perhaps Serious Sam, which you know we we could delve into that, but I don't think it's necessarily relevant do you enjoy the first one you played or did you have to grow on one over time that's the, the first part of this question yes yeah, so up until relatively recently i i'd say i was not a particularly skillful doom player um uh, I, there was a, a moment probably in 2019 early 2019 i think maybe a little bit earlier than that, but yeah uh yeah no it would have been 2019 um, where um, I got involved uh, helping Insane Zebra test Sunder, and Sunder is up there with some of the hardest stuff ever made. Um, and it was a real baptism of fire. <laughs> um, but the reason that I wanted to help IG and, and get involved in that was because there's been a few wads that have uh, really informed my design style and, and just like this, these epic, grandiose architectures. Um, and Sunder was one of them. And the the other one at the time 
um, which I played this, uh, a similar moment was called, was called Deus Vault, which is this amazing single map. You start in a tech base and descend into hell. And it's got like mm-hmm. religious iconography. It's it, it's you look at it and you go, well, this this wouldn't be out of place in Age of Hell. It's it's unbelievable. It's huge cathedrals, like massive vaulted ceilings. Amazing one. It's still one of my favorite things to look at. Um the thing with those kind of visual designs, they tend to be full of a lot of monsters because you've got big spaces. You can't just put three imps in it. It's going to be boring. Um, some some maps are exploration focused and they can get away with it by having slightly different gameplay styles. But historically and, and commonly, if it's a big space, it has a lot of enemies in it. So these maps would be full of full of monsters, like 4,000 monsters in a single map. I was nowhere near good enough to beat them. So I played through these maps just with God mode or mods on to make the gameplay easier. And I just would just blow the shit out of enemies, not not playing properly, but just admiring the architecture and the, and the chaos. And like the first four or five times I played Sunder would have been with God Mode on. And just looking at like thinking, no one is good enough to ever beat this. This is impossible. <laughs> uh, how, how wrong I was. Um, so, gameplay-wise, Slaughter wasn't my favourite to play in beats, but I loved the kind of environments that allowed it to happen. And I love the chaos and the, the, the hordes of hell. Like, you know, the, you look at the thing about that, you know, hell is, is legion, endless. This is them presented to you. Go fight. You're not fighting. You know, you know classic Doom is very much, you know, small numbers and, and that, that's, that's still a very common and, and popular gameplay style. There's nothing wrong with it. But for me, like, the, the idea behind hell and was, was part of that that legion and um i really i really enjoyed that as a concept um so when i first start when i started making maps i would make these decent in 2018 um but you know so earlier since i'd make these big spaces and i'd fill them with stuff and it, it, it was yeah it wasn't a conscious decision that i really enjoyed slaughter it was like almost an incidental side effect of the spaces i liked making um you know, from a visual perspective, although I've always been a very visual mapper, I, I map first for geometry, and then I think about what kind of combat I can, and sometimes I have a combat idea that I want to work with, and I'll, I'll start with that, but broadly it, for me, it's more more important for me personally is what a map looks like, and how does the space feel, and what does it, how does it make the player react in terms of, like, their emotions, and, um, you know, when you've got these big, gloomy caverns, and huge um, marble uh, palaces and stuff, and people go, whoa, like, that's that's what I'm trying to create. Um, and or, or it's it's a bit of a meme at times, but this combat is secondary to me uh, in terms of what I like to make. I know it's important, and I know if I, if you make bad combat, people won't like your maps. I, I know it's it's very critical to get it right. But personally, as part of my drive, it's a bit much of a muchness. Um, um, yeah, it's probably a, it's probably a little bit harsh, but it's definitely below um, visual presentation for me. Um, so yeah, it was uh, yeah. That's a good question. Um, uh, so yeah, so while I didn't enjoy the gameplay per se because I didn't play it with, just go back to the question because I played it with cheats, but I enjoyed the effect it had on me. Um, and Morpher actually asked a lot of questions to you, so I'm going to try to like lump them in because they're all kind of relevant to the conversation. Uh, what advice would you give to someone who would like to enjoy slaughter maps, but is currently used to that slower pace? And I think from his perspective, like, you know, the Doom 2 style, mm-hmm. or the Doom 
54 style map. Yeah, so there are easier and harder slaughter maps. This this is definitely true. You don't want to jump into uh, something like Abandon, which is a, a a new WOD that came out, but it's very very hard. The latest Thunder maps brutal. There are there is a, there are tiers. So there are you know if someone was come to me as like how do I what kind of WOD should I play to get into slaughter? You know, there's there are there are ones that are more um, gentle, should we say. Uh, to new players. So there's, there's an older one called Rush, really good introductory slaughter. I'd actually say the slaughter spectrum is definitely introductory slaughter. Um, and then there's, uh, uh, like Bastion of Chaos on lower difficulties is very accessible. Um, I, you know, hang up to rough. I've put a lot of effort into the difficulty balancing because ultraviolence is brutally hard. But I wanted to make sure it was open to be played by as many people as possible. And um, Even I was able to complete that map on the easiest difficulty. <laughs> exactly. Um, and I've heard from people like who don't like slaughter, so they really enjoyed playing it on "I'm Too Young to Die." Like, I, and I had it all tested by people on all the difficulties because I, I knew I wasn't going to enjoy it as much as you know I would enjoy UV. But so, um, and Rubix is another mapper. Um, he does more like micro slaughter stuff, but he does really good difficulty balancing in his stuff as well. So there are there are definitely ways to get into it if you're if you're interested in terms of what wads to play. Um, and it's just a little, just did a little bit of research, talk to the community a bit. Um, talk to people who like slaughter, and um, and they'll they'll lead you to like you know, these these three wads are a good place to start. Um, and if you like that, well, then there's these ones that are a bit harder, and then there's these ones that are a lot harder, and you can work your way up the the the, the ladder. And I, I think part of it is you need to push yourself. You need to actually be slightly uncomfortable all the time. Um, and if you because you're playing stuff that you can beat easily, you're not going to get that much better. If you're playing stuff that you struggle with, obviously you don't want to you don't want to get your, your shit kicked in for five hours because this is going to be unfun. But you want to you want to actually feel like you have to think, and slaughter right. involves a lot of thinking. Um, it's one of those d- very divisive topics because it can be very. <laughs> it can be like you know, you know, I, I'm signing up. I'm I'm trying to get better at Doom. I want to get my shit kicked in. Or it could be the guy that's like a you know like hey I've got a thirty minute lunch break, and I'm just trying to get a little relief. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just trying to like blow some steam off. And honestly, your maps are not for that guy, right? <laughs> like Scumhead's maps are for that guy. Um, and we, we, we can dig into that later if we need to. But like, I, I really think that's an important division in the marketable part of game. Yep. Right. So I, I personally want to talk to you about the um, monetization model of what you do. And obviously you make a good... I know what I make from Twitch, which is stupid considering what I actually do. I've already said I hate streaming, right? So, um, with that said, what? Because you've just founded Hellforge Studios, mm. um, I believe, as of this week, yeah, if I'm not mistaken. You Enterprise, yeah. And I'm curious, a what the actual idea of what that will be is and also where you uh, plan to monetize with the current projects that you have on if at all yeah so um, it's it's generally no secret these days that I want to turn this into a career um, this is the goal mm-hmm. of and, and so monetizing, yeah and yeah I think there's there's definitely enough positive um, support for that, that that makes me certain that it's a it's an idea worth chasing um, yeah there'll be Struggles, it'll, it won't be easy. Um, fucking heaps of work. But um, 
yeah, no, it, it's the first time I've been driven to try something career wise. So it's like if I'm only do that, if I'm only going to try once in my life to like be passionate about my job and choose what I want to do in like a really direct way, this will be it. And if it doesn't work, I'm okay with that. I can still hobby map. I can still like make a game and sell it on the you know while I'm doing my other job. Like it, it's not the end of the road if it doesn't work. So if it fails, and I, I can say you know hand on heart that I've done my best. I'm, I'm completely fine with it. I'll be sad, but no, that'll that'll that won't that won't stop me from continuing to to, to create content. So, um, uh, I've I've had that that thought process. But when I started making, so we'll start with Age of Hell. When I started with that, I had no plan of of this. So, um, Age of Hell will always be free, hundred percent. It will you'll never have to pay have to pay for it. Um, and, and there's a variety of reasons for that, but it, it's, um, it will stay a completely free product uh, for those who, who wish to get it. Um, but there will be there will be ways you can support it. Um, so like um, like I say, I stream on Twitch, so you know people can support me directly through that, and that's that's my kind of like my brand is through Twitch, and and you know that's people giving me money via that. That's that's for me, and they'll do things like I'll upgrade stream equipment. Um, I can just bought a standing desk, um, fund my craft beer addiction. Um, and and it will be a, like it'll be a revenue. The idea is to turn that into a revenue stream to help support me to live um, uh, long term, um, kind of as a side gig uh, adjacent to um, you know, producing games. But there are ways to monetize the product, so things like the Patreon um, or donation schemes, like people who want you know, merchandise, people who want to contribute to Age of Hell and actual game development, there will be paths that will be opening up in the near future for that. Um, uh, because it is something that, you know, that people have said, why is this, why can't I, why is this, why is this free? <laughs> I want to give you money. Um, so there will be options for that. And um, uh, for people who wish to to support um, directly game development elements. And it'll be used to, like for Age Hell, be used to commission promotional artwork and pay some of the people who have contributed to date. Um, you know, it's been thousands of hours uh, from people um, helping me, so I'd love to get something back to them. Um, you know, they they joined the project knowing that it's a passion project and it's done for love. But it would be awesome if I could, you know, just give them a little token of appreciation back. Um, and I'll make it clear that you know um, the money raised via these avenues will be going to these kinds of things. Um, uh, they won't be. The idea is not to use that for myself personally. Um, uh, so people who can, yeah, people. Who don't want to donate via Twitch to me? They can, but they want to support the game. There'll be these paths, um, and hopefully that can build up into something, and that will then be used to fund future endeavors when I do make a commercial product. Um, you know, because you'll need, you know, you need capital for that. <laughs> um, so that's that. That's that's a that's Age of Hell as a as an entity. Um, but you mentioned Hellforge Studios, um, which is an idea that I've been had been bouncing around for a few weeks. And the initial premise is um, obviously I've got a bit of a public profile now. Um, you know, Hellforge is one of the bigger uh, classic Doom communities going. Let's use that to help other people and promote their works. Um, so Elementalism is a good example. They have a private, well, there's a private dev server for that, and they've got a Doom World presence and a mod DB presence, but they don't have a Discord server. There's not a place where people can chat about um, the project, and this is a big project. Um, or Sunder again. Um, there's no there's no just space where people can talk about it and ask good same gazebo questions. I thought, well, we can create that space for people who don't have the energy or the time to run a, a full server, but keen to get a bit more publicity. Let's, let's create an avenue for that. And then I can do things like play it on stream. I can shout them out on Twitch. Um, I'll help with playtesting. And you know, these are things that I've 
you know, personally endorse and hopefully you know, helpful shares becomes a bit of like a stamp of approval. People can recognize that as a, like there's an objective level of quality here as well. Um, uh, yeah, just because I, I put the idea in, 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 in the server, I was like, do you guys think this is a good idea? And it's just like roundly positive responses. So I was like, okay, I might be under something here. Um, so that's the initial premise. But um, the idea is for that to become a commercial entity uh, in the future. Um, so yeah. commercial games that are released, we released under that banner. Um, I will register it as a company name, um, uh, which I've already done a bit of research on. And uh, yeah, it'll be, a, it'll be a trademarked entity. And long term, uh, if the, there is a, a, a very ambitious, <laughs> let's admit, um, uh, goal of mine is to turn it into a game studio, um, helping doing the same thing that I'm doing for Doom Wads now, doing it for commercial games, um, kind of like New Blood. Obviously, that's a very long road, but um, if you know, if I can build up this amount of publicity just making Doom Wads then what can I do if it's commercial stuff? Like, there's, there's that idea. Um, this was kind of secondary to the initial concept of, like, helping other people and, and promoting their work. So, hmm, this could be, this could grow into something else. So this is a bit of a dry run, essentially, for that concept. Um, and it will always have that side to it. I'll always, as long as I'm involved in Doom, I'll, I'll be using it to freely promote other people's Doom because that's where I got my start. I love the Doom community. They fucking make so much good stuff. And they need, more publicity for Doom is, is always good, and uh, um, there'll always be that completely free, helpful, um, and hopefully useful um, element. But um, yeah, I'm curious to see where this builds to in the next kind of five to ten years. I'm personally very excited to see what you do when you're like in, you know, Unity or Unreal Four or something like that, where you have a lot more freedom. Um, you know, Doom Doom is beautiful, and you know me, I'm all for the doom total conversion project. Like I'm, I'm here supporting you because I think that age of hell is going to be game changing. I, I thought that heat on was game changing. Uh, and it, it, I feel like people miss this. Like they, they see like, Oh yeah, doom, doom mm. to whatever. Uh, they don't understand how significant it is that you are, building a commercialized game in an engine that is not only that old, but old is kind of the, the side mm. conversation. Like the fact that it is fucking free mm. to use, like you can just do whatever the fuck you want with it. Like that, that is what's important here. We have an engine that is capable of creating fantastic games that people have 20 years of experience in working in that is monetizable. That to me is what's worth writing home about. That's what you want to like. If you were, you, you know, you're in the trenches. That's what you tell mom. Mm. You know, you don't tell her like, Hey mama, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm about to get shot by a Nazi. No, you don't say that. You say, Hey mama, I'm about to make a million dollars. That that's what's cool because um there are a yeah, couple but, of projects coming out, Salako, potentially supplies like that. I think are heading down that path. I wouldn't be surprised if it comes out that they are pay for products and they look hundred percent worth paying money for. Um, eventually, Square, to be honest, should have been a commercial product. Um, so there are some out there, but you're right. There's a bit of a conception that it's just a Doom board. It's just a Doom conversion. You're preaching. 
preaching. <laughs> so I think I think you're going to see a little bit of a shifting of of perception around that uh, in the next kind of couple of years, um, as things like Supply Age of Hell, Sulaco, um pop out, and it's like well, this is in essentially a derivative of the Doom Engine, but it is a new game, and it's marketed as a new game. Like I start, I'm now referring to Age of Hell as a game, not a Doom Total conversion. It was, you know, two years ago, it would have been fair to call it a Doom, definitely a Doom Total or Doom conversion. Now it's not. Um, uh, and these other games, they're, they're completely new games. Yes, they're inspired by Doom. Um, there will be, you know, parallels in the way that they play because it's in a Doom-based engine. Um, but they're their own beasts, and um, and yeah, I think um, you. The way that they're they're being promoted on places like Twitter, they're like incidentally associated with Doom uh, these days, and um, I think that's a good thing that they're distancing themselves from Doom as a core concept. It's like, no, this is Supplice, this is Salako, this is Age of Hell. Um, I mean, what what have I been sitting here doing? I, I've been trying to talk Jimmy into making money for a long time. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Make money, like I. I you should join you by the man who hates money. <laughs> Is that, I mean, he he would he, Jimmy would be a perfect fit in over at fucking New Blood. Talking about New Blood earlier, like I, if you hate money, be Jimmy. Like yeah, definitely, definitely. Sure. Just be Jimmy. Well, he's had a little bit of an epiphany recently, so hopefully we'll see more of Jimmy promoting himself in his creative works. And like, because he is making minis for Proteus, so he is getting some of these breaks, mm-hmm. which is really good because he fucking deserves them. Um, and he is objectively talented, and he should be making money, lots of it, for what he does. Um, and um, look, I'm sure Jimmy will listen to this. It's not that Jimmy should be making money. It's that the entire team mm. oh, that the worked game, on yeah, yeah. Adventure, Adventures of Square should be making money. Like, that's what I'm getting at. Yeah. He could be making enough money to pay that whole fucking crew. Definitely, definitely. Um, uh, you know, Matt Tropiano, uh, Zaza, uh, Pavera, you know, all of them, like, immensely talented. And, you know, the way it was set up as Big Brick Games was, was the company that made it. There's a couple, like, I don't know if it's a registered company, but there was essentially a, an entity that promoted the, the product. It's like, why is that not bigger? Um, and even if it's just like making a shirt, like why is there not, a, why is there not Adventures of Square merch? I want to buy Square on a t-shirt. You know? <laughs> um, <laughs> and um, yeah, it, it's, uh, I think because, because Jimmy and, and these, these other guys involved in Adventures of Square are, are old school doomers. They do come from that age of um, doomers for free. And wants for it a free, even if it's completely new assets and it doesn't use anything from ID that is intellectual property. It, there, there's an expectation for so long that it's it's free stuff for the community, and that's a, that was a, that is a strength, that is a good thing. That's why there's so much great stuff being made for Doom that you can play for free. Um, but I think it is important to realize once you reach a certain level, it's like no, no, this is more than this has gone. This is by itself. Bigger than just a a, a, mm. a doom map. It's 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 a new thing. It should be pushed as such. And Adventure Square is probably one of the first ones I think that had that vibe. It's, it feels like a new game, and you should think of it as a new game, not a doom mod. Um, uh, and there's you know there's obviously parallels and comparisons and references, and it, it has a vibe kind of similar to Chick's Quest, but 
um, it's so much more than that. And, um, and I really hope I that. throw a few names out there just to talk about like the pioneers of that, of what I think is going to be what makes you a lot of money, if you don't mind. <laughs> uh, total chaos. Mm. That That's regardless of how you feel about the game. That, oh, that game high is like yeah. a total conversion up and down. And it could easily be remade in a different engine, definitely, which definitely. is up to Sam to decide. Well, Mr. Cat worked on that. But, um, well, Mr. Cat's done fucking... Well, we're going to talk about Mr. Cat. Right? <laughs> uh, this is going to be a long fucking podcast <laughs> unless you just like leave me a little bit. Because I have so many questions for you. That but... Yeah, like... Yeah. To- total chaos. Like, redefine. Like, what the fuck can you do in this engine? Exactly, Holy yeah. shit. Like, you can do, you can actually do yeah. anything you want. Like, uh, you know, just to briefly mention Mr. Caddy, like, he has made 2D side scroll platforms. He's really made Undertale and Doom. He's made Raiden DXL shoot em ups. He's made Worms and Doom that's playable online. Like, you can literally do anything in Doom. Um, the, the new coding language Z script allows it, it's, it is its own, it is a game engine. It is, and it's actually a pretty fucking good one. People joke about the, well, not joke, but like, there's a perception that GZ Doom is bad performance. And if you look Untrue. at what I've made, <laughs> this run, this actually runs pretty good. Yeah, they are, they are pretty taxing maps and st- stuff like that, but you can you can really fucking push it uh, in ways that other engines you can't have a thousand enemies and fighting you at once in Unreal. Destroy things. <laughs> Computers will be set on fire. The question, um, Bridge, is not what can be done in the engine, right? It's what the people who expect a certain amount of performance to come out of said engine mm. can can provide the computer to handle. I think it's... And, again, it's and, about that. Sorry, All right, please. I was going to say, I think it's... Again, it's some, some, some of that perception element about you know, a new game in, in GZ Doom as an engine, there is a perception about how well Doom should run. It should be buttery smooth. Like Doom should shouldn't tax a fifteen year old computer should be able to run like that kind of. There is still that attitude from a lot of people, uh, and particularly with people who use some of the older ports, which are very much Doom based Doom engine derived, like Boom, um, Limit Moving Stuff, Chocolate Crispy, all those kind of things, which are all very fine products and do their jobs really well. Um, and like people like go, oh, but my your Doom maps now playing at fifty five FPS. It's like, well, that's actually still pretty fucking good. Like original Doom ran at thirty five. What are you complaining about? <laughs> um, Better so, than fucking Doom. Exactly. So thirty five like, FPS. I played get, get Doom three at fifteen like, FPS. Take a tampon out. I played Doom three at like ten to fifteen FPS because my computer couldn't run it. But no, that was fine. I played Doom sixteen mm-hmm. when I got that at fifteen to twenty FPS. I didn't have any issues with that. I knew what I was getting in, so I was playing. People don't complain that Doom Eternal doesn't run on their ten year old computer. There's an expectation. There's like there's a, a managed expectation there that it's going to require a certain amount of computing power, and I think I've actually I done agree. a big part of that of managing that expectation. These maps are not going to run on your ten year old rig, or not well. You need a decent computer. You need a certain level of hardware to no be able one to that change. Bridge, you know that that will change when you put it on Steam and you set the minimums. You're exactly, like, these are the minimums um, to play this game. But I did that with Bastion of Chaos. I said. You will need. This is what the kind of performance you should expect from a computer that has a 1060 GeForce. You know, um, and then I released the low spec version, and I said this has been run successfully on a 680. 
So I gave some benchmarks. And I had very, very few comments around performance because I managed the expectations. Um, I got the one person who gave me gave me shit for performance. Turns out they were running a mod, <laughs> which was tanking FPS. Um, so because yeah, that's a major argument. <laughs> yeah, um, because you can if you manage those expectations. Um, people don't then try and run it on their ten year old computer and, and complain about it not working properly. Um, uh, so yeah, I think you're we're a bit of a watershed moment. I think around GZ Doom as a as a an entity, both in terms of like we're talking about you know making actual games out of it, and also just what you can push that engine to do. Um, and uh, you know, um, I'm really excited to see what people can. And like the other thing that's gone hand in hand with that recently is the the editor Ultimate Doom Builder has had some really really massive tool improvements over the last year um and um, i could rave for days on end about the quality of that product and the dedication of the devs to that and uh that is a huge part of why my maps look as good as they do is the the tool that i get to use it is i i challenge anyone to show me a better editor than also with doom builder I mean, there there are going to be trench room people out there. Like, trench room is pretty fucking like, good too, and I, I I I do salute that as like as pretty much as you know similar kind of level of quality and masters of it can extract amazing things like you know Tears of the Fallen God for um, arcane dimensions and the fact that Chris it, Holland is making gonna... making Graven and trench room. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was going to actually say is that like if you were to make that transition to trench room, the market itself of, of what you could possibly accomplish well exponentially say that because doom builder has a model export function and someone has exported bastion of chaos into unity just for to see if it works and it does so you, i after hearing what chris is doing and actually started a cog where i was like can i create a similar workflow path from ultimate doom builder to unreal 4 or unity um you know build your base geometry in doom builder use what you know export it and then, you know, put in your functional elements after. Uh, obviously, it's not going to do everything. But in terms of, you know, you can do height mapping in, GZ, in Ultimate Doom Builder. You can do, like, full 3D structures. It all exports as a model, despite the slightly kind of hacky methods in terms of the way things get set up in, in the engine for, for, for GZ Doom. It will export all of that as a model, single entity, uh, or whatever you select. It's, it's incredibly powerful. And uh, it definitely got some cogs wearing in my head about what, what we can do with that, even if it's just like instead of using Blender to make a model, make it in Doom Builder, like and then export, it, make it to make your own door, make make textures. Like you can do so much as a, as a resource creation tool. Um, it's opening up a lot of opportunities, and um, I think you're just starting to see some of the real creative people putting these tools to use. Like um, Ball, who's the project lead for Elementalism, has just made a rotating set of stairs with like platforms. There's chains on cogs. Holy fuck, it is insane. All made in Doom. Um, it doesn't look like anything that belongs in Doom, and um, he is a he is a freak when it comes to like moving parts and using uh, scripts to to create dynamic environments. He's probably one of the best people I know uh, for that kind of stuff. And like seeing what he can do when he when he when he put his brain into it, I was like, this is pretty fucking insane. Um, and uh, you know, same gazebo. Um, he's uh, certainly breaking new ground in terms of his visual designs for um, for UMF and Age of Hell. And um, yeah, these these tools have only been around for a very short, you know, maybe a year. For some of them, um, uh, give another five years, 
holy fuck, what are people going to come up with? Uh, I'm very excited. So let's get back into the original question of with Hellforge Studios, what do you see yourself publishing? And what would that product look like to the audience? I think um, it'd probably be, it would be primarily FPS focused. Um, it might branch out, but I think like it, it depends a little bit on where the market is in say five years time. So at the moment we're in a real golden age of, of FPS, but that also results in a glut. Um, market saturation, oversupply. So people see this golden goose and they want a piece of it. They want to get on the bandwagon, blah, 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 all those, all those cliches. So we're, we're, we're kind of heading to that with some of these products. Um, but there's still a lot of really good stuff being made. The Ultra Kills. So Dusk, Dusk and a Medieval came out very very much the forerunners and still probably like the benchmark, for me at least, in terms of, of quality. I know you've got different opinions. But I fucking love them. And you can't deny what they've done to kind of retro FPS. Boomer shooters, uh, if you will, um, and um, I'd say I'd say dusk in terms of gameplay, a medieval in terms of yes. level design. Yep, yeah, yeah agree. Uh, agree. I, I anybody could take the a medieval's level design. Away no, no, and a medieval even as a bigger medieval stand, a medieval's gameplay is a bit meandering, um, but the visual presentation is fucking phenomenal. And um, yeah, it's as if you worked on a game. Exactly, and like I, I shamelessly. Have copied the medieval designs. <laughs> if, if, if I was if I was like five years ahead of my career, I would have like a medieval would have been that that, like that game that I would love to have worked on. Um, I just missed that boat unfortunately because it's a Kiwi company too. Um, so yeah, for variety, yeah, so Dusk yes, gameplay is incredible. Visually, a little bit more simplistic, although some of those Escher levels and episode two with the Gore-Tec fucking phenomenal. And then yeah, medieval for its visual presentation, but in terms of like the impact they had on the market um, and and on you know, gamers. Um, people are like, oh, fucking hell, these are great. Old school styled FPS, you know, pretty pretty straightforward. Don't have to think too much. Lots of fun. He, you know, cheap. Runs on relatively you know, low-end machinery. Awesome. So the market was born out of those two, I think. I don't think I could really name anything that came before that uh, that had that kind of impact. And then, you know, things like Proteus started building up and um, and it's a bit of a bit of a, a, a snowball effect. And, you know, then we've got things like Ultra Kill, and um, uh, Viscera Fest, um, Wrath, um, uh, Supplices. I feel like Supplices transitioning. That's a, that you know, people don't realize about Supplices has been, been worked on for over a decade, and it was just going to be a Doom project. But because Mechadon kept it very much below the radar, it's now it can make that transition to a paid commercial product quite easily. Um, so I think there is there's definitely still a lot of really good stuff being made, but there's going to be a bunch of middling quality products and there is a chance that that will tire people out. Um, but as long as there's like a good chunk of like cream of the crop kind of material, like say, you know, even like 20% of, of releases are, you know, excellent. Uh, I think that that will continue as long as people keep having fun with them. Um, and I think part of the attraction is the price point of these products. They're cheap games. Even if you didn't enjoy it, you, well, 10 bucks, you know, 20 bucks, whatever. Um, that's, you know, you buy a AAA thing for a hundred or New Zealand dollars and it's bad. You're like, well, fuck, that was a waste of money. Um, and but you know if you buy a, a fifteen dollar game and you don't enjoy it, it's like yeah, you know that was, that was lunch out. You know it's not a big deal. Um, uh, so you can experiment and find things, and, and there's lots of communities around like discussions about why people like various games, and you can get a good feel for it before you try. And um, and there's demos and, and all you know all these really accessible products out there. And um, so provided that that all continues, that that will be the kind of thing that I think Hellforge Studios would. 
would focus on because it's what I know as well as a designer. Um, and you know, I'll, I'll be there'll be hopefully a team, but yeah, you know, there'll be like I'll make judgment calls like yes, this is a product worth supporting. And I feel like an FPS, I would be able to make that call better and easier than a different game uh, style. Um, so that'll that'll be where we I think where, where the focus is is put first. Some of the best advice I ever got was just like, you know, don't uh, don't set out to make your dream product first, right? Um, try to make something mm. that you can sell for five, ten, fifteen dollars or whatever for on mm. Steam. And you know, maybe you won't make a million dollars. Maybe you'll make a few thousand dollars you know it doesn't matter if you're, if you're trying to build a house right mm. build a fucking fort first in, in that's the good advice that's right good advice. It, yeah and so like if you're trying to make a game that's going to be epic as fuck right which your games are going to be epic as fuck period but if you're if you're really trying to make that like dream project that like really is going to require you to transition engines to hire 3D modelers. In, in Bastion of Chaos, and especially in Age of Hell itself, situation, because I know that you have a lot of people kind of like helping you out and working on it and all this kind of shit. It, if you were trying to pay all of those people for hmm. what they did, oh. right, <laughs> right, right, <laughs> yep, yep. but if you want to get to the point where you can, make that kind of game or a better game you're going to need to have some capital yeah. up front right like and so right now invest in what you can you mm. know like you're you're really like I, I looked i look up to you as someone who's like this guy's genuinely really smart don't commercialize that game um but get everyone's name out there yeah right yeah. provide them with the opportunities that will come along with a, mm. a, such such a publish product and then when, when that's done they'll probably all have opportunities that you can't even pay them to do you'll be like oh fuck man I, I want you to work on my next project you'll be like oh, oh but my you is like nothing in comparison to this money that I'm being paid now fuck you uh, no, no, I'm kidding but <laughs> hopefully hopefully they'll be like uh, you know hey where did my first big break come from mm. bridge burner well, they, you are something to the, you are right, actually ahead, resident, like this is exactly what I want to do, and this is I've already talked to a few people, and like you know, um, there is a there's a, a few key individuals within the Age of Hell project that I would I would like pay all the money I had to to keep with me, and I will do everything I can to get their names out there and promoted. Like um, you know, Mister Cat flies out. He does have a doesn't have a social media presence at all. It's like fucking set up a Twitter. <laughs> so Can I ask you a quick, shit. Uh, um, Primeval, the, you know, he's, he's going to be writing most of the OST. He fuck, he's the he's the next Andrew Holshot easily. He's uh, arguably better actually. He's unbelievably talented. Like, how, how? Why do you keep doing this for free, man? <laughs> why are you making millions of dollars? Um, sorry, what were you going to say? I'm sorry. Uh, I was just going to ask you a stupid question <laughs> that Amorpher threw in about Mr. Cat. Oh. Um, and I want you to just like answer this question quickly and then go back to what you were saying. So the question was, uh, do you feed Mr. Cat whiskers or friskies? Whiskers. Friskies uh, went out of business here. 
And um, yeah, so there, there, there are definitely core individuals that um, I, I, I want to take with me as kind of like the core team. Like kind of how New Blood has those those key those artists on their roster that kind of help out other games and stuff. Like we've discussed, uh, um, I love that idea. I think that's great. It's like here's this great concept you've got. You're this little dev. We think yours is a product. Yours is a project we're supporting. You're lacking this kind of key skill in your your repertoire. There's someone who can help you. Um, we will help you make these models or make your game sounds or you know tweak your weapon animations or whatever because we've got these expertise on the books um, that we pay a salary to that are just there to help. So I, that idea I very much like. And one of the primary reasons that I want to you know, keep these people is to work on the things that I want to work on, but then yeah, provide these, these expertise and, and, and um, knowledge and skills to people that might not have a, access to that. And um, That is the new blood model. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a great model. It's an incredibly good model. Um, it, it's, it's obviously very profitable for them. But it's also really good for the, the the game creators. Like, holy shit, we get access to Andrew Holshot. Holy shit, you know, um, that's, that's you know, this is incredible. I, I'm nobody, you know. I'm like, oh, he's going to come help you. Um, and so yeah, I, I think that 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 model more so than maybe the 3D realms, but that 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 business model, I really like the idea of. Um, and we'll see how that goes. And um, yeah, but yeah, you know, the primary focus will be to you know release stuff myself. Um, but uh, if we can build, if I can build my own portfolio and, and games that I'm making while you know building a kind of a larger commercial entity, um, um, I think that'll be a lot of fun. I, I'm just gonna like retackle this with a few fan questions because, like, actually, dude, honestly, you've got like a lot of, more than I expected. Uh, wanted to know right. shit about you. So we'll start with uh, okay. Nationwide Moose wants to know. What does your dick taste like? <laughs> I know I've never tasted it myself. Yeah, um, probably like um, uh, no, I, I actually I was not expecting that. <laughs> I have no pithy answer. Um, tell them to come and find out. Okay, all right, that's your answer, Nation. Yep, come and find out. Uh, Flambo wants to know if you were to give. Uh, him, him some money to purchase his mother-in-law. How much would you feel willing to give? <laughs> it depends. Like, does he like his mother-in-law? Is it someone that uh, he wants to get a nice present? No. No. Okay. In that case, probably like about seven dollars fifty, because then you can get like a bit of a mean gift, um, but nothing nice. <laughs> this is the best. I, I really expect. You don't know what your does your dick taste like. <laughs> It's actually fun. Okay. Uh, moving on to serious questions. I can, uh, Nationwide Moose, for, just a shout out, is the head of the uh, United States Quake community. So he, like, seriously, he, he loves what you do. He's a huge fan of Doom, Doom Wild. He's a, in North America, there's no bigger curator of people playing multiplayer Doom Wads than Nationwide Moose. Mm. No, I, um, I am familiar with Nationwide Moose, so it's, uh, it's not a complete, complete out of question. <laughs> tackle on that uh, Flambo, another administrator for Z Damon, which I know is not your game, but like the, what they've done for Doom mm. uh, is irrefutable. Yeah, definitely. And <laughs> they, they love you, seriously. Characters one and all. Uh, I love it. All right, we'll, we'll move on. 
uh, Flambo's next question is, uh, <laughs> how hot is my wife on a scale of one to ten? <laughs> I'm going to say ten. I, I think Janine is super hot. Um, so. I'm going to say like a, a, a solid eight and a half. <laughs> Side on scene, eight and a half. Eight and a half, yeah. It's like when okay. people ask you, like, it's like when people ask you, how old do you think I am? There's a safe number to pick. You're like, yeah, it's about 23. <laughs> uh, if, if you don't know, just say 23. It doesn't matter what you actually think, that is the number you pick. If they look 70, say 23. It, I'm never going to do an episode without opening it up to fan questions from now on. <laughs> uh, really, we're actually moving on to the serious questions. You said that last time. Sorry. <laughs> uh, the track. Zan. Okay, Zan. Uh, you, you know Zan. Hidden Diva. Zan the Breaker. For real though, how do you get the builder to not crash every time you draw a line? Now, this is a real legitimate question. So, um, so there are a couple of couple of ways because obviously it's it's well known that I, I i push the limits in terms of line counts and, and um high fidelity design and ridiculous architecture so um one thing that i am definitely uh, known for really really fucking anal about is architectural precision being really accurate um and eliminating there's a lot of like kind of like very like little discrepancies that can lead to bigger issues if you leave them un, un, uh, unattended. One of them is like overlapping vertices. Like when you copy paste stuff like in a radial pattern, if things aren't quite lining up, the engine won't merge those vertices. And quite often even when they are like exactly the same, they still won't merge. So you have to go back and, and, and tend to them. Um, so, uh, and there was another another bug bug issue that I discovered recently with when I was making Bastion is when I got to a certain point trying to save the map while building the nodes would then cause Jesus Doom to crash. Um, so there are, there, there are things that you do hit as you get bigger and bigger and you, you just got to manage it like error checker is your fucking friend. Use it all the time. Make sure you're not. You, particularly those very short lines. Eliminate as many overlapping bits as you can. Very yeah, The, the Jesus Doom is good. The node builders are good but they're not they're not infallible. And normally when you're getting a crash on save, it's a node builder issue. Um, uh, and there, I've found a couple of odd other bugs that have caused issues on saving. One around poly objects, having too many of them in a map. But it's 99% of the time it's a node builder. So the pro tip for when I was having the issues with Bastion, and this, I'm so glad that I found it. It's so unintuitive though, is to turn it off. So when you go into the configs, <laughs> down to node builder, select none both for saving and testing, then let GZ Doom build all the nodes. This only works for GZ Doom. If you're having issues in Boom or another format, you're out of luck, but GZ Doom builds the nodes every time you reload the map, um, which is kind of weird, but helped in this in this instance. So um, Bastion Chaos has no pre-bought nodes, um, none. Um, it still loads in a normal amount of time, or no longer than it would for a map that size. Uh, and yeah, really unintuitive solution, 100% worked. Um, and I don't know a few people have had to do it as well. So yeah, turn the node builder off and see if that helps. But I'm also error checker. Spam that. All right. Next one. Could you just read this verbatim? Uh-oh. <laughs> can you read? <laughs> can you read? Uh, uh, yeah, I think I can, I think I can uh, remember how to do this. Uh, happy belated birthday to Bram and Maria. So those are Flambo's children. <laughs> oh, very nice. I hope you said happy birthday to and, yourself. Uh, yeah, that. 
to flag black. I, I owe them both uh, belated birthdays, and this is cool. This is a cool way to do it. <laughs> so, next one. Next one is Moleke uh, Trerao. Moleke is a particularly interesting guy. He has, tra- so he's Brazilian, right? He has translated a vast amount of arena FPS games into Brazilian Portuguese to be sold to that market. Nice. And just an amazing guy. Uh, uh, former uh, podcast alumni as well. But he, he paid his way in here, so let's have him, let, let him have his question. If it hasn't been said already, how much of your time, your free time, like outside of your personal job, do you allocate to daily making content for Doom? Um, so um, one of the yeah, I talked a, little, a while back about you know how many hours I've done streaming, and while that's not all um, all mapping, but uh, yeah, a, a lot. Um, uh, so probably on average on a good week, probably thirty hours. Probably squeezing 20, 20 to thirty hours of mapping a week. Um, uh, it's kind of like the what I aim for. I uh, don't always get there, um, and um, there's you know weeks that are lower, weeks that are higher. Um, but um, yeah, I, I do I do try and you know put in a lot of time into it. It is the maps I'm like are not quick to make. Um, so a bit like I said, Bastion of Chaos. There's probably about four hundred hours of effort into that over the over the space of about four months. Um, it's probably a, a pretty accurate estimate. Um, and yeah, there's literally thousands and thousands of hours of mapping into, into Age of Hell. And, um, uh, it's, I would never normally recommend to mappers to try and force themselves to map. It's usually a bad idea. Um, trying to break through creative blocks. Um, you know, when you're not feeling it, um, you know, putting yourself into a, in a, a situation where you're not really, you're, you're not, you're not, you don't have the juices flying. It's normally a bad idea if you if you're just uh, trying to do this for fun because uh, you just won't enjoy yourself. But because I want to do this as a job, I have to be able to map when I don't feel like it. You have to go to work when you don't feel like going to work. So one of the things I've been experimenting with, like I had a month off work over the Christmas break during the lockdown period, um, and it has been putting in like a work week of mapping. Um, and even when I'm not feeling it, no, I'm going to sit down do eight hours of work and get shit done, even if it doesn't feel like I, I want to, um, uh, I'm still going to do stuff. Because there's always, like, I find there's always, st- like, even if you don't really know what you want to do next in your map or you're a bit, bit dry with the creative ideas, there's still shit you can do. There's textures you can tweak, alignments you can fix, little little bugs that you can address. And normally what happens, I'll just start doing some of this easy, like, low, low thought kind of stuff. And you get to the flow of things. An hour later, you're like, an idea's popped up. Um, and it's it's I think um, it's definitely kind of a known thing about me that I I, I get ideas very easily, um, yeah. and um, and I can put them into put them to work um, very quickly. Um, uh, I'm a little bit strange in that in that regard. Um, I, I mapper's block just isn't a thing and that happens to me, um, which I'm very fortunate and, and you know, immensely lucky to be honest. Um, that that that's how I work, but um. Uh, yeah, there's a, I, I really, really push myself to, to map a lot. Um, and um, the burnout, the risk of burnout is there. Um, but we've been going, you know, kind of three years 
um, deep on this on this, this road so far. Um, and I'm still here with plenty of energy, plenty of drive, plenty of ideas. Like lots, of, like I just like there's map ideas that I really want to put into practice. That after Age of Hell episodes, that won't be up for three years, kind of thing. So um, uh, that's part of why I do it so much, as well as all these things bubbling in my head that I want to put into practice and, and show the world. And I think that's a, a really admirable trait, and it's not something that everyone possesses it may be an introvert quality um because mm. i too possess this um the ability to look at a blank slate like look at something that like okay i don't think that this is going any further and to just take your free time outside of your work time which you you said like uh, you know i have free time off work or like that, that kind of thing and say what can i what can i do with this amount of time mm. And I think this is a, a lacking quality, and I don't mean to sound pretentious or criti- critical of you know anyone who doesn't possess this, but like for me, free free time is like an opportunity. It's mm. like if I'm not at work, I can do what I want to do, mm. and until I'm fucking dead dead tired, I mean like I'm uh, I'm falling asleep or else. I'm going to develop cancer. Like basically one of those two things. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm working, I'm going in hard. And yeah, I know that you also, that, that, mm-hmm. that's a parallel that we kind of draw. Yeah. Like uh, that's that kind of focus that I've given. Like I've, normally I'm obsessed with like a single computer game and I'm like, you know, there's mm-hmm. been like, and I'll be like, play it religiously. And that's not work. That's, that's definitely fun. But it's that kind of focus. That, yeah, it's tight. It's like, but this is what I want to do. This yeah. is what I'm focused on. I'm going to dedicate all the time that I can to it. And you could write that off as a bad trait, you know, playing computer games all day um, and potentially shirking other responsibilities and all that kind of stuff that goes with your, your, your classic kind of gamer nerd um, burrowed into their computer. But that is something that I've been able to harness. And I, um, I'm fairly certain because my brother's, my brother's got Asperger's syndrome. Uh, there's definitely autistic traits in my family. And I, I had some of them because I watched my brother grow up. I was like, I used to do that when I was his age. Hmm. <laughs> and one of the traits of of you know, people on the spectrum is focus. Single-minded dedication to a single thing. And that's that that's not a bad skill. It can be seen as bad because you might neglect other things or other people or whatever. But if you can harness that focus into that, and I think I've managed to do that with this, this mapping dream, is be unequivocally focused on it um yeah i still have fun i still play games and you know i, I, I recognize the need to take breaks and, and that kind of stuff but it's always in there in my head it's like what am i doing next what am i going to work on um what's the next goal what's yeah. the next milestone um so like for the end of the year um when i had that month off i wanted to get the demo age of health version of Master chaos ready i wanted to get that video ready for the hasman reveal and uh, there's some some serious goals like we're going to get these 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 done and you know it was it was probably you know, a good hundred hours of work in two weeks or two or three weeks that I had to do to, to get it up to scratch and go, you know, this is my goal. I'm going to do it. And I did it. And um, there wouldn't have been any issues if I hadn't, but you know, this is my holiday. And I was like, I fucking worked hard, <laughs> but it was fun. It wasn't a struggle. Um, it was just something that I knew I wanted and I knew that I had to, I couldn't waste time. I couldn't procrastinate. I know like, we're going to get into this pretty quickly. And if we're going to kind of meet these uh, kind of you know, self-imposed objectives. Um, so yeah, it's, um, it is a, it is an oddity. I think about people like us. Um, 
and it is a double-edged sword. Um, there are there are things you you know negative elements to it, but um, if you can make it work for you, um, and I've I've seen that in other creatives like using kind of don't want to use the term kind of like mental disabilities, but that you know people with OCD or um, manic depressive you know, bipolar disorder. It's so like Devin Townsend, uh, the amazing musician. He's got bipolar. He channels his kind of like high states to be ultra productive because he knows when he's in a low state, he's not going to be it. Um, yeah, and like you know, it's like okay, I've got energy. Let's get shit done. And he made four albums in a year, and <laughs> one in one year. Um, and and so he he can manage his let's say quirks and use the the the, the you know strong elements of it to his you know great success. Um, and but there's a price that he will pay for that in terms of like his low moments. Um, but he's learned to live with it. He's kind of like someone who's at peace with that in, within himself. Um, Mike Portnoy, the drummer for Dream Theater, he's got OCD. And he's like very particular about a lot of things, but he used that to manage when he was in the band, Dream Theater, like manage all their tours. And he would make sure that if we'd been to the same city twice, we're not going to play the same songs because he had everything that they'd ever played ever in anywhere, like in a big catalog. So he used that part of himself yeah. as a strength. Um, I'm sure it made his life difficult in other ways. But, you know, um, if you can recognize these elements within yourself and put them to work, I think, you know, it's a hard thing to do, but if you can, um, you know, you will be definitely um, a better person for it. It's, um, yeah. I agree with you 100%, man. And to, to have a really kind of in-depth conversation about that, if we have to, the stigma of mental health mm. is such a problem within the creative community because – I mean, look at uh, look at indigenous societies, right? What do they do? What do we do? All right, and I, I don't really know how to categorize you because you're a fucking Kiwi, but like Western society, right? What do we do with schizophrenic people? Mm. We just write them off and we say like you're fucking crazy. Put and in America, unfortunately, yeah. we put them on the streets. Literally, put them on the streets. Like, and we just ignore them. And we don't make eye contact. Or, or in an insane it's, asylum it's a, and, and block them in a box and abuse them. Yeah. <laughs> if you're lucky, because that ended in the 80s. Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you're lucky, you end up in an insane asylum. Um, what did indigenous people do? Those, those people, like schizophrenic people were shamans. They were the most revered people in the whole fucking community. Because they were like able to kind of go on that journey with people who are going through a really hard time. They're like, I can put myself in your situation, man. I, see I can like see yeah, the world yeah. you're going through. Yeah. And you know, it, like a psychedelic trip or whatever, if, if that's something you're into, they could go on that ride with you because that's the world they lived in. No, and, we could, and, we could probably have a whole other podcast about yeah. how, you know, like say Western society treats people with, with mental mental health yeah. issues because like in New Zealand there's been a big there's been a big campaign around like raising awareness like this is not a it's really mm -hmm. common if you feel like this there's like a third of the population that are the yeah. same kind of thing and it's okay. I'm but, speaking you know, from the point of view like I'm me I'm the mother load you know I'm Ty 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 has been through some serious PTSD shit and come across the other side. Right. Uh, my wife, Emma, as you, you were talking about Devin Townsend and, and I, I brought up Kanye West because she, uh, Kanye West is a big mm. influence on my, her, uh, Mrs. Motherhood. Right. So she, she's bipolar. Right. And I don't think she would, she wouldn't mind at all me talking about it. Cause she's like very open about it, but 
I've seen what that's like for mm. someone. Mm. And it is not fucking, it's not an easy road to travel. No. But I know what she's capable of when she harnesses that energy. And she's just like, I'm going to use this to make the world a better place. Mm. And what you're talking about exactly is like, a, you know, with the, the Asperger's, with the, with the autistic spectrum kind of disorders. We often in society, in Western society, I would say, specifically, write those people off and say, like, ah, oh, they're they're not meant to fit into this. Well, they're, they're just they're, they're just a difficult child and they're just you know just socially awkward and therefore we're not yeah. going to interact with them and we're just gonna like you say, you know, push them to the side and ignore them. because um, they're not normal normal quotation marks. Coming coming from the career field I'm in, man, I'm in the weather. Um Nobody's fucking normal. So, <laughs> Like some of the best people I know, like we'll, we'll talk about like my personal experience for a second, but then we'll go into gaming. Some of the best damn weather forecasters I know are definitely on the spectrum. Like, <laughs> definitely. Like, there's no way you could understand the shit you do if you have anything else to think about, right? Like, you're. It's like you are weirdly like, folk. You are weirdly understand. focused on weather. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, people talk about like, how trigonometry um, comes to me so easily. Yeah, you know, uh, Albert Einstein had autism and all that kind of <laughs> stuff. And I don't know how much like, there's a lot. Like you look at these uh, weird, right. smart people. Isaac they, Newton. There's something going on in the yeah. head. <laughs> but yeah, they use that. Um, you know, for good. Yeah, for, you harness. You, you don't. You don't look at someone like that. Like, shout out to people out there in the world. You don't look at someone like that and you say like you're useless. You say yeah. what? What are you good at? Talents do you possess? That I can harness. Yeah, Mozart, Beethoven, yeah. all these motherfuckers. Any hyper focused person. Yeah. There's something weird going I'm not on. Saying they're autistic. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But they're they got they got something they have to prove. Right. Yeah, like yeah. they've got something going on. It's you clearly have something you need to fucking prove to the world mm. that is not measurable by the mod like the normal modern standards. And, no, no, and that's no. something I really want to impart here. It's like, Bridge Burner, you're a fucking freak of nature. You're not a normal person. No, I am not. In terms of development, you're an Olympic athlete. And, and when you look at the people that we work with, right? Like, Mr. Cat, we bring him up. We, we bring up, uh, I'll bring up my team, like Gelmasan, uh, definitely an ADHD candidate. Uh, <laughs> uh, Gelmo, like, these are fucking people who are so amazing and so productive and so useful is just, they just need to meet the right person yeah, yeah. who can fill that void find the right like, person and find their like their passion and like be able to like i think one of the, the common things you'll see through all these like little these kind of success stories around people with you know should we say mental quirks is they found what they want to, they found their passion they found something to focus on if you have no focus mm-hmm. and this kind of goes for everyone a bit like you, you like the kind of normal people can drift through life to a degree. And that's, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, if you're happy, just kind of like, you know, going to work and coming home and having a beer and going back to work, like, go for it. If, if, if you're happy, fuck yeah. Um, people should always be happy and I'll never begrudge people their happiness. And um, But, like, if you're a little bit different and, and you know, you feel directionless and you get distracted easily and, like, you do might do some dumb shit um, and you feel kind of pent up and, you know, but you find that one thing that really clicks with you and whether it's helping mother load make podcasts or running a quick, uh, you know, the U S quick community or whatever, you know, um, or making maps. Um, when you find that, that thing that 
<laughs> makes you get very excited. And you can sure then just put in band, so that all that energy um, into this thing. Um, and and it just feels right. And then you, I think you'll find your, your wider life settles down because you're not, you're not, the energy's not just dissipating out to the world and being all chaotic. It's going into this thing and you can take all that excitement and, and jittery passion and, and put it into one receptacle essentially and, and, and then harness that power. Um, and you'll go to work the next day going, man, that felt good. I got a lot done last night. Um, yes, I was up to 1am, but fuck, it felt good. I'm a little tired today. You just, you just, you're just much more chill the next day because you've, you've managed to kind of like tap that big bubbling reservoir of, of excitement and, and, and you know, chaos and, and put it into something. And, and yeah, I think you just find that your, your life will improve. <laughs> Preaching Preach. to the choir? <laughs> yeah. Freaks! Um, to the freaks. You're all awesome. Of course. The, like, these are the people who make shit fucking happen. Yeah. And whew, that was a hard conversation to have. Sorry. Let's go on. This is my show. This is my show. I, I'm used to being on your format, like <laughs> which is like I have to, I got to be like, all right, I got let bridge talk, like, like all that kind of shit. This is my show. This is your radio. So my last two questions yep. that I have nothing to do with anything else is this is strictly me. Okay. Number one. You've mentioned uh, publicly that you identify as a Christian, mm-hmm. yeah, which I think is great. How do you reconcile that with uh, being the face of age of fucking hell? <laughs> it's an odd juxtaposition, and I'm surprised not many no no one's actually really asked me about this before because I I've, I've I've have said it publicly, mm-hmm. correct, but I don't advertise it. I don't proselytize. I'm not an evangelical. I'm, like I said before, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm an introvert. So, but it is a part of my life, and I I'd be lying if I didn't say it was less of a part of my life now than it was say 10 years ago but it's still there and I still identify as it and um and and kind of believe like the, the core tenets but um so there are a couple of couple of reasons behind it one is I think primarily um and again you know shout out to my parents while I grew up in a Christian household it wasn't super rammed down our throats as kids and my youngest brother has recently had, well, not that recent, but a couple of years ago now, maybe, but essentially like a bit of a crisis of faith and is now identifies as a bit more of an atheist. Mum and dad were completely fine with that. You know, there's no no sundering of the family or anything like that. And I think that says a lot about them. Because my youngest brother, he's an incredibly smart, like freakishly smart um, character. Like he's one of those like annoyingly perfect humans who's lovely, charismatic, freakishly smart, driven, like just won the genetic lottery. And, um, but so he could reason it out. He'd explain it, and like so, it was a very thoughtful process for him. And yeah, that's so that happened. So my, I come from a, a pretty, well, actually, by certainly by American standards, a very liberal Christian household, and um, uh, which is good. Like it's it's very relaxed. Um, and um, yeah, it was, it, I still clashed a few times when I was growing up. And like the first time I got drunk, I was, was too impressed. But it was also because I was the oldest child, and they had me when I was twenty one. So it was all a bit. I was definitely treated strict, and I think that was more part of it was just I was the first going through all these milestones. So when my sister got drunk for the first time, mum and dad didn't really give a fuck. Fucking sibling drift. Sibling drift is a thing. <laughs> it's like crazy. I'm oh. like, what the fuck are they doing? Like, yeah, but you, you, you chewed me out when I did that 10 years ago. Why are you being so relaxed yeah. on my brother? Yeah. <laughs> You know, little brothers over here just like just fucking up and yeah. I'm like mom what are you doing he's <laughs> like hey, you were fine they'll be fine as well I think fair enough so no it's, it's annoying at the time but I can understand that so that's fine and um yeah, yeah, yeah. and um 
so yeah, so that's that's my background is I, I come from what you'd call as a very a very liberal Christian upbringing, and um, uh, which is good. And I, you know, it's still uh, you know part of it, and still a lot of values that I, I still hold to. And um, um, uh, so there's that element. So yeah, you know, the the liberal the liberal side of my upbringing in terms of uh, religious uh, household. But the other one is, I don't actually see a clash between the like Age of Hell and Doom and like you know let's call it fairly satanic imagery, because. I don't see it as like I'm not glorifying it in the sense that it's a it's an ethos that I'm supporting. Like in you know Doom, the joke is Doom is a Christian game because you, you're beating the demons. That kind of holds true. Um, like it's not a Christian game, but it's certainly anti-demon. <laughs> and Age of Hell is the same thing. You know, your protagonist, you're fighting hell. And I, while I I absolutely adore like hellish imagery, uh, the the emotions it evokes, the the, the awe inspiring nature of it, the horror, the the oppressive, like you know, kneel before me kind of like I think that's so fucking epic. I it's more like from a fantasy perspective for me, I think, and um, yeah, I don't see any like there's no internal clashes, um, uh, really um, drawing down the, on that as a design trope that I like in my own personal beliefs. Um, there's a couple like you know like the, the uh, like obviously I I've taken like a, the pentagram as kind of like my my icon now and there's a little like that that one that one is probably the only thing that is like mm, like would I get a pentagram tattoo mm, but itchy yeah so I, I, that has that is a, like a little bit of a thing that I've been thinking about like because you know, I like I, as you know Uncle Hans working on a logo for me and that's got a pentagram mm-hmm. in it because it really. Could not, couldn't not right, have a pentagram. Yeah, Uncle Ed is available for hire. He is the the designer behind in the keep. Yep, he is my best friend, he and is. also he's working for you. So that's yeah. it's actually a beautiful thing. Oh, he's great, and he's, he's so easy to work with. We could we could talk 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 for hours about how awesome Uncle Ed is. I know he's great. I definitely recommend him. Um, yeah, he's very easy to work with. Um, so that there, there, that was probably, that's probably the only like personal kind of like internal conflict. It's a small one. Um, that I've had is like, yeah, you know, I wouldn't mind getting my logo as a tattoo because um, I like tattoos. Um, but would I tattoo myself with a pentagram? That that's that that feels like a step. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, interesting question. I yeah, like I said, I think you're the first person to actually actually overtly ask that. I'm sure it's been thought about. Um, yeah. So look, short answer is. Well, no, I'm just gonna. Briefly, it's a hard topic, and I grew up in a you know South Alabama, like very overtly Christian. My grandmother's going to listen to this, so I'll probably get a phone call afterwards. <laughs> but, um, you know, I grew up in a very Christian, like strict Christian kind of ideal of how the world's supposed to work, and from a very young, I, I was the only. When, when I was like nine years old, I remember telling a girl, like, I am not what your definition of a Christian is. Mm. I, I remember saying that, like, in the hallway of, like, a classroom like, or of, a, of an elementary school, which is, I think, kind of young to even yeah, have that kind of thought. Definitely. But I was like, I, I definitely don't identify with what you believe in. And I was sort of ostracized from that point on of, you know, from that part of what I was, that part of what was my society at the time. Mm -hmm. 
And I want to I want to be very upfront. I am down with Je- Jesus. Is cool as fuck. Like Jesus is. If you're not down with Jesus, you're a piece of shit. Because Jesus is awesome. It's pretty hard to like. You look it's at the story. The, you're like, no, you you were pretty on the on the money with a lot of what you said. You're <laughs> <laughs> like. Really hit, yeah. He, he was he was on the point. Uh, for me, I, I mean, I kind of lean towards, uh, you know, Zarzu is another good example, uh, another member of your community. We talk a lot about paganism and and her beliefs. And so when I hear you say shit about like, um, I I have questions about the pentagram of like, what is that? You know, like what does that mean for me as a Christian? That kind of thing. I my immediate pushback is like that symbol has literally nothing to do to, like yes. to with Christianity. So I'm cognizant uh, like, of that. I am like definitely yeah, like there's an older much older symbol. I'm like that has nothing to do mm. that was Constantine's fucking problem. Yeah, 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 like, yeah. Constantine had to somehow convince everybody in Europe that paganism mm. was bad. So and and equate that to Christianity. Mm. Um that's not that's not you. Like, yeah, so you don't have to worry about it's it. It's a visceral reaction. So it is it's like it is part of that upbringing thing and like the way that the pentagram is presented in modern society as this you know symbol of Satan mm-hmm. evil whatever. So yeah, no it's it's it is a a gut instinct reaction. It's not a cognitive reaction. So that definitely resonates with because I I'm a big fan of live and let live and I think I'm actually probably like technically slightly agnostic because I view other religions as equally viable and I can't mm-hmm. see why they can't all be different reflections of the same you know, divine being, whatever divine entity in the universe, whatever the overarching overlord thing is that there's no fucking way that humans can comprehend. Um, and sometimes I wonder like, does it actually exist? But there's this zero chance that any human in the course of history has ever understood it in any way, shape or form. Um, and you look at something like you know, religious texts, like you know, I, I view the Bible. The Bible is widely viewed by historians as a relatively accurate historical document. Whether or not you believe you know, the, the miracle signs and the supernatural elements, that's that's a personal thing. But as a historical document, it is pretty accurate. And it, it, yeah. it correlates with other historical texts. Jesus existed. He was a person. Whether or not you believe he was the son of God, well, that's, that's again, it's a personal thing. Doesn't so, matter. He was dope as hell. He was exactly so. You know his teachings, <laughs> the ones he said, like they are objectively pretty was, fucking solid. <laughs> um, um, he was so, a really smart guy. Yeah, you know, that was sharp, and he he hung out with everyone. Like yeah, you know that like you know lepers, tax collectors, prostitutes. Yeah, you're all people. We love you, and that's uh, and we could get into uh, how uh, twisted Christianity has become. Um, that's a that's a different conversation, <laughs> but so that whole that's, personal yeah, we're not here to talk about that. No, that's, that's a that's a different like, podcast. Um, but that, that whole personal yeah. journey element and like and I like the idea of taking a symbol and making it your own for your own reasons as well. Um, and I, this is mine, and I like it because for these reasons, you know, X, Y, and Z. This is this I identify with this, and it's it's just you know whatever you associate. Like you said, I don't, I don't, I'm not your Christian. I don't, I don't believe. In the same things you believe, that's I got it. like that. Mm-hmm. that when, if someone said that to me, it's like cool, sweet. You believe we can discuss that, oh, but what do you believe? That what, what, what would be different? You know, let's just chat about it. That'd be cool. Um, <laughs> as opposed to like you're different. You don't adhere to my very strict 
um, you know, constraints around beliefs. Therefore, you are no longer a person that I view as worth associating with. Um, yeah, I fucking hate that kind of stuff. And um, uh, it's yeah, a real blight on society. We could, you know, again, we could, we could <laughs> talk for hours on, on such things. But And um, so um, I view... Um, I view that as a, a good thing. Like, you know, you saying that, I would say is a, is a good thing if you say that to someone because it means you, you kind of, you know where you, you differ with someone and that that's, that's not a bad thing. Having a different perspective is not a bad thing. And that's, again, I make like, I view different religions as reflections of a similar concept. And you can go into the roots of Judaism versus um, Islam and, um, you know, where they came from the same core, like the, the three Abrahamic religions. Um, yeah, they'll grow from the same seat. Like you can, you can, you can dig into this really interesting perspectives, and, and and there's a lot of similarities between a lot of religions. And um, I think that that's worthy of discussion. And you know, you could have a few beers with someone and talk about it. Like, great. And and part of that is talking about your differences. And you know, variety is the spice of life. And you you'll hear different opinions. And that's actually quite interesting. That one thing that you said, I might think about that a bit more. Um, I'm not going to fight you because you have a different opinion to me. I'm going to listen to it and consider it because uh, debate. Arguing in its purest sense is something that I really enjoy. Um, I like talking to people with different opinions and having a good, honest discussion, good, honest and friendly. But you know, let's let's let's, let's hash out this this concept. Um, and either you'll you'll walk away feeling more firm in your ideas because you've been challenged and been able to defend it. Go no, I I still think these things. Or you'll come away with a seed of something else, and that will help you develop. And you'll go, mm, that was actually very interesting. And it might worm into your brain a little bit. You'll think about it a little bit more, and then you go back to that same position. Ah. Oh, that thing you said, I was actually, it's actually stuck with me. And we should just explore that idea further. And like that, that is, that is the art of, um, like ideological spread in a good way. And that's why I hate political discussions on Twitter because all you can do is shout at people. No one's fucking listening. Um, you're just shouting at each other. You're not going to change minds via that medium. You're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna grow as people when you sit down on a kitchen table with a couple of beers with your mates and and, and discuss things. Um, that's that's the kind of place, the environment that these kind of conversations grow you as a human, as opposed to going out that, there into the, the broad world and and putting on your battle armor and, and going to war. Um, uh, that's not. That is why I prefer podcasting to other mediums. It's mm-hmm. like we can have a conversation, yeah. right? Like I it's can great. say, like, "Hey, Bridge, man, I think what you said is great." Like, like, I have nothing bad to say about that. Well, you can ask a question like, why do you, why, why the pentagram versus your Christianity? What the hell does that work? Like, you can ask a pretty complex question. I can't explain. You ask me that on, you could ask that question on Twitter. I can't answer it on Twitter. I can't do that in 140 words. Yeah, true. (laughs) But but it's a, it's, it's truly like a topic. It's like, Let's really dig into that. Okay. All right. I'm talking about it. There's, there's nothing about the pentagram. At all, unless you just believe that it is the symbol of Satan mm. that stops you from using it as a Christian, because yeah. it, it's truly just that or its origins are uh, so completely not what order. the yeah. modern idea of it is. But whatever, fuck all that. The whole point of this conversation was to transition into the real topic that I actually want to talk to you about, which is. Heavy metal. Hey, there we go. <laughs> and this will be the last one. I, and we'll go to bed. Or I'll go to bed. You'll go to your brother's birthday or whatever. Um, 
I actually do want to start off with black metal because uh, that's where <laughs> I come from. And I, I've had a lot of very interesting topics with you live on stream that I hope that the world never actually has to uh, revisit. <laughs> Fortunately, VODs only last for two weeks. That's, that's true. I, I, I try to like, you know, because of esports kind of shit, I, I put it on YouTube as quickly as possible. But yeah, that's a good thing to lean on. You should keep that <laughs> as long as you can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, heavy metal meant the world to me, man. I, I remember I was maybe eight, nine years old, and I was just this is not something that's going to shock. I know my parents listen to the show, so like I have to be cognizant of that, but like I was in a really shitty situation when I was about that age. And they know that. And I remember playing Tony Hawk's pro skater number two. We're going to, we're going to say two. Somebody can correct me if I'm wrong about the actual soundtrack, but the Ramones hmm. and ACD were on that soundtrack. Right. So like, uh, our, yeah, Blitzkrieg Bob, I believe is like one that really stands out to me and TNT hmm. by ACDC. And while those are not heavy metal songs, those are songs that are like they're adjacent. hard rock. You know, yeah, like enough, yeah. enough to give yeah. you that little kiss. And and our, I started my first band at that age. Like I was like, I, I want to be in a rock band. And I want to play <laughs> this kind of music, and I have no idea where that came from. But those were the songs that like sent me on that path. And. Where did where did your initial interest in in heavy music come from? You mentioned very early in this interview that you had a friend who got you into metal, mm. and who is also a doom mapper. Uh, where does where does this come from for you? Yeah, so um, uh, like I said earlier as well, like yeah, I grew up in a household that was very passionate about music. Like mum's played the guitar for I don't know fucking forty years or something now. Dad used to play the drums. Um, most of my siblings have played instruments like so, yeah we, we, and again it wasn't a thing rammed down because sorry it was just an environment that we grew up in and we were just it was just an interesting thing mm, music is cool and I, I actually firmly believe that raising kids up in a household with lots of music is an objectively good thing um, and um, so dad uh, was probably my earliest uh, influence on my music he listened to a lot of REM and Midnight Oil and U2 and Dire Straits like real solid classic rock kind of stuff really good like he U2's a bit of a U2's a bit of a meme now, but like old U2's Object. fucking amazing. Yeah, awesome, awesome stuff. Like really, still really good music. And Midnight Oil in particular is one that I've really held on, held on to as a band that I love. Um, um, I just really like their tone for some reason. Um, uh, singing style, REM as well is, is very cool. Um, um, and um, yeah, Mark Knopfler's an objectively amazing guitar. Eric Clapton was one of Mum's favorite band uh, guitarists. Um, um, very fucking cool, and um, yeah, like lots, lots of good stuff. You know, just really good, solid classic rock, and um, so that's what I grew up listening to. And um, <laughs> probably the first album that I actually got really obsessed with as a kid was Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds, the rock opera. So, so that was my that was my first touch. Like we're talking like when I was like fucking six years old, I'd listen to it on repeat endlessly, and that was like that's probably you know looking back now, I was like, well, that was my first taste of prog because um, my dad weren't big Pink Floyd fans. Um, which I'm surprised by in hindsight, but Led Zepp, yeah, a bit of Led Zepp, but um, 
not not Pink Floyd so much. And yeah, but War of the Worlds was a really fucking big big impact on me when I was young. And I actually listened to it again on stream um, last weekend. I was like, oh fuck yeah, all the memories came flooding. That was, was great. Um, so that was that was the, that was the base, and that's a good base to work from, I think. And um, so most most like up until the age of about thirteen, that was mostly the kind of music that I listened to. There are other bands that I, I get involved in, um, you know, kind of like general rock bands, and um, um, yes, some Christian rock. Uh, there's a band that I still very much like called DC Talk. Um, that I actually started with a rap band, which I wasn't a fan of that stuff. But there's a couple of albums from them that are um, you call them pop rock these days. But um, yeah, really, I really enjoyed as a as a kid uh, listening to. And um, and then uh, you're gonna laugh at this, but fucking Creed, um, <laughs> their first two albums are still really fucking good. Yes, like Scott Stapp became a bit of a meme because like talking about mental <sighs> issues before, like. I huge amount of sympathy for the band, but no, he's it, like, and Creed just gets a bit of shit for some of their like real like balladic, like, yeah. big vocals, and it is a bit, it is a bit cheesy. Let's be honest, but their older stuff is very crunchy, and Mark Tremonti is actually one of the world's best guitarists. Uh, you listen to his work with um, Alter Bridge, his solo stuff. He's still churning albums out, um, and so the other members of Creed formed Alter Bridge uh, with Miles Kennedy as a singer who is objectively a god. Um, <laughs> Uh, so that was that was my my intro to heavier music, um, like you with ACDC. That was like, oh, this is the, the distorted guitars. Oh, I quite like this, um, but still with the melodic kind of rock core. And um, uh, you know, like, um, and then the, like in Human Play, which is their second album, there's a couple of tracks like What If, um, uh, is actually still pretty fucking heavy, like really really chunky. Um, good headbanging tune, and. Um, the, so I listened to that and thought, this is pretty fucking cool. And then, I still remember this very vividly. This is back in the days where like fucking MTV played music. Um, but the New Zealand is a channel called Juice. And uh, it was a music channel. And um, I Disappear by Metallica came on, which is their Mission Impossible 2 song. And this is, I thought, this is pretty fucking banging. Watching the clip. Very cool clip. Great track. Still a great track. I had no idea what the band was because I'd missed the very beginning of it. But this is really fucking cool. Just like, yeah, it's like nine o'clock at night, just about to go to bed. Like, oh, I fucking love this. The end of the track comes on, name of the band, Metallica. I was like, oh, my friend has a lot of Metallica albums. I should go talk to him. And he, like, <laughs> he fucking borrowed his older brother's Metallica CDs and gave, like, a big sack. <laughs> Like his entire Metallica. Apparently, he was not his brother was not happy. Um, shout out to to, to Sam Allen, uh, my friend's brother, <laughs> for not killing his younger brother for taking his Metallica records. So he gave me the seriously like all of Metallica's entire catalog in a plastic bag. <laughs> listen to this. Um, and when I was fifteen, and um, uh, I listened to the Black Album, and say what you will about the commercialization of Metallica, that is a good record. That is those are good hooky songs. I- um, you, you hear, there's the hits off that album, right? There's Inner Sandman, there's Unforgiven, there's. Uh, yeah, but it's the other track, like this fucking uh, My Friend of Misery, it's Wolf and Man. Um, it's in, uh, Wolf and Man. Wolf and Man is a fucking bad well, man. Yeah. All um, day long, brother. Amazing like, song. That's a. That's Sad a but song. true. Like, there are, there are some good tunes on that record. Um, and yeah. I was just like, oh, music can sound like this. Big, no, the Christian household thing, mum fucking flipped out when she found I was listening to Metallica. <laughs> About three years later, she was teaching it to her Interesting. Guitar, she was teaching it to her guitar students three years later, so things changed. <laughs> well, 
little little side side tangent on that. My okay, so my mom was a huge fan of Molly Crew, mm. and she she had like this kind of like gate right where it was like a okay, up until a certain age, I'm okay with you listening to this music, but this music is not okay, right? Mm. And the Black Album was one of those records yeah. that like, my stepdad bought. And he, he like he listened to it. He loved it, but it was just like I don't want my son listening to that shit. Yeah, it's like. And my stepbrother <laughs> was like, you know, because it, it was his dad. You know, he he's like listen to it. And I'm like, what the fuck is that? That's the sound. Yeah, that, it's like That's it is. It's like, right there. There's something about it. And it's just like I don't want to listen to Metallica. I don't want him listening to Molly Crew, like all that kind of shit. And and, and eventually, you know, my mom's a grown ass fucking woman now. Like she's. <laughs> You know, it, it, whatever. <laughs> but, but that was just like so she wasn't comfortable with that. And then at some point, she realized, like, you know what? Molly Crew saying about <laughs> hedonism and drugs and like all the shit that goes on in life. And I never did any of that shit, mm. so exactly. he'll probably be okay, yeah. right? And and first of all, for Mother's Day of I don't know twenty. Nine or whatever the fuck, you know, twenty oh nine. I bought my mom a vinyl of De- uh Shout the Devil, mm-hmm. which is a black record yeah. with a black pentagram on it. If you were good song. It. And go ahead. It's a good song. I was like, it's a good song. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, like I I remember like I bought that for my mom. That's when it like clicked for her. Yeah. She's like Actually, we are, we are, we, yeah, this is fine, yeah. Well, so, you say that, I have been to several Metallica concerts with my mum. <laughs> Which I think is just a, a sentence I love being able to say. I've been to, I've been to several Metallica concerts with my mum. Yeah. <laughs> I've been to lots of concerts with my family. Uh, it's it's great. Um, so, yeah, that was, that, but the, the 15-year-old me was, mum was not impressed with listening to Metallica. And, um, but that was, that was the start down the road. But there was another, there's a couple of other real seminal moments for me musically. Um, when I was flatting, this is I was about 21, and a mate of mine um, uh, came home from work with a burn CD of a band called Blind Guardian, which is a German power metal band. And so at this point, I liked Metallica. I was into like standard heavy metal, like you know, you know American stuff, you know, nothing too outlandish, um, popular stuff that you'd hear on the radio. But I was, I was very much into it. Um, and listen to like heavy rock bands like Trapped and Seven Dust, which is Seven Dust is still one of my favorite all time bands. Just fucking love Seven Dust. Um, you know me, you know me. <laughs> but he came home with this like oh. European bombastic, like double kick out your ears, like soaring vocals, guitar solo. Like it's like holy shit, music can sound like this. Like I'd never heard anything like it. And it's the album theme was all based on the Similarium by Tolkien, so it was like fantasy metal as well. I was like, this is so cool, and just like. Just that, that just took me down a rabbit hole. Um, and that's uh, I discovered Amazon. I was like, my CDs through Amazon, all this European metal, like all these other bands. I got big into European stuff. Um, so that was a real, a real watershed moment. And then there was one other. So, again, fucking huge shout out to my mum for being seriously cool. She bought me, so she knew that my taste had kind of gotten a bit more heavy, a bit, bit more esoteric. She bought me my first Dream Theater CD for Christmas, um, probably 22 or 23. And um, she bought a train of thought. And first, first I said, this is pretty good. And then it was just, it was an airworm, eh? I just kept listening to it and I kept like getting deeper because prog takes a bit of time to get into. And 
it's still my favorite album. And that that I, was I the Pro Genesis. Sorry? Genesis. Mm. The rock band Genesis. Mm. Right? I got Phil Collins. I, I listened to a fuckload of them, and I was like, "That I think that set the precedent for like progressive music." Yeah, yeah. even though Genesis is kind of a pop band, you know, like in a way, well, like, got- they were definitely progressive rock. Oh, definitely, hundred percent. And, yeah, and yeah. that's the, the stage for Yes and for what well, because you know, I bands s- like that. And- I skipped over all of them. I didn't listen to Pink Floyd. I didn't listen to Yes or Genesis or Journey. All those or Rush, like all these early, mm-hmm. even Led Zeppelin, which has a lot of prog. Elements. I, I I skipped all over all of those. I didn't, you know. Apart yeah. from all the worlds when I was a kid, there was no other prog in my life really until Dream Theater. But they, but Train of Thought was their most metal album as well. So it took the crunchiness of things like Metallica and, and um, like you know big heavy distortion and, 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 and screaming guitar solos and lots of double kick and um, dark brooding melodies yeah. and stuff like that, which they hadn't really done before. And a lot of people don't like it. Like, they're like kind of older Dream Theater fans are not a fan of Train of Thought, but because that was my introduction and because of where I was coming from musically, it really hit a fucking note. Yeah. And I was like, more of this, please. Um, and that that was the beginning of the end for me. <laughs> um, that took me down the path of like, where what is the, like, it's kind of like, I don't want to use the term extreme because that has a, that is actual genre, although I do love extreme metal, but like more esoteric music, like, how creative can people get like people who do kind of like me with my mapping people who make music for the love of making music and make what they want to make not because it will sell and i've i i don't yep. have any issues with bands making yep. music to sell metallica making the black album to be a popular record all power to you make money i don't care if it's good i'll still listen to it I, i'm not a hipster um but I, the, those musicians, and it's, there's even more now with like you be able to like record your own stuff. There's uh, you know programs you can use at home, cheap slash free software. You can distribute yourself on YouTube and Spotify. You can find these like real passion artists um, really easily uh, these days. I, I love that kind of stuff, like people experimenting with with fusions of genres and tones, and just just making the stuff they love to make. Um, and uh, uh, that you know, listening to Dream Theater set me down that path, um, and I, again, fucking huge shout out to Mum for fucking buying me that CD. I'm sure it would have happened across it eventually, but my life would actually probably be quite different, um, and very fucking different because I met um, you know um, now now an ex, but uh, a, a long term partner I had. She was a huge Dream Theater fan, like I was wearing a Dream Theater shirt, and that's why she talked to me. Um, and like my life would be a hundred percent. I'd be in a different space. Probably still happy, but I wouldn't be here. I might, probably wouldn't make them do maps for, for a start. Um, that by, by buying me a Dream Theater album, something as innocuous as that, actually changed my life, uh, which is pretty cool. I think that is the most beautiful part of life is the, the different journeys you get sent on by the art that you're exposed to. And mm. one of those pieces of art, Reg, is uh, yours. So mm, thank you. there will be an entire generation of people whether you want to like look at it like this or not, like Arlene is one of them. Like, um, and I'm sure she would 100% agree with me. Like, the people that you've sent on the arc that they've been on because of what you've done uh, within the world of Doom has unequivocally, uh, unequivocally, I'm, I'm shitting on words here, unequivocally sent people on a journey that they wouldn't have otherwise been on. There are people who are inspired to try do mapping because of you. Mm. And 
that's the kind of the I, I hoped we'd end here and that's where we're kind of actually land. so kudos to me what what you've done and what you are doing and what you will continue to do with Hellfort Studios and everything is beautiful and it is absolutely leading people on that path that you just mentioned of if if not for this I would not be here there is a lot of people out there who are going to look back 20, 30 years from now and say like, you know, I wouldn't be where I'm at from, you know, right now. Uh, I wouldn't be mapping for whatever company or whatever project that I've worked on had it not been for this guy inspiring me to, to try to do something that I didn't think I was capable of doing. And that's where I want to leave it today. Yeah, no, I think I think that is actually a fair comment. I, you know, um, I, I do try and be careful around that kind of uh, self-aggrandizing stuff. Um, but no, it, yeah, um, you don't it have feels to. Good. I'll do it, it for you. Good. Yeah, and look, I on like on a related note, and um, and we can leave off here if you want. Um, I I wouldn't be here without a lot of other people. Um, so while I am a I am a let's, you know, let's be honest, I'm a bit of a force of nature. Um, uh, in uh, the community um, and will hopefully continue to be I am only um, I've only managed to rise to this level uh, through um, a lot of talented people and, and you know uh, I definitely count um, yourself among that um, you know shining a spotlight on me and, and engaging and um, uh, I yeah I'm really appreciative of um, everyone that I've met um, and that has helped me uh, both in terms of the actual work that I'm working on um, you know, into you know projects that are uh, producing and, and helped out with and, and stuff like that, but also just the, the networking and, and the, just the just ridiculous amount of support out there in the game dev community. I cannot speak highly enough of it. Um, I thought it would be a toxic shit show, um, but uh, aside from like singular instances with real shitheads, uh, everyone's lovely. It's weird. <laughs> Where are the egos? It's it's insane. I I, I just cannot speak highly enough of. Um, uh, you know, right up from there, from ultra professionals to indie devs, everyone in between, they just love supporting everyone's work, um, and it's this great, inclusive, supportive community. So, um, huge fucking shout out to everyone out there making stuff, uh, whether it's passion projects for old FPS, with it's your small indie dev stuff, whether you're working for AAA, um, you know, you are doing great things it's a good place to leave it off uh, Bridge you've been amazing uh, oh, thank you for having me uh, I've been looking forward to this for quite a while thank you very much to Bridgeburner for being on the show and being an amazing guest and my friend I really value our relationship and hope you guys all go reach out to him uh, on his Twitch streams and check out his content and hopefully uh, if you haven't already actually go back and listen to Burning Bridges with Bridgeburner the, the five hour long podcast we mentioned in the beginning of this uh, which I published on our channel here I also want to say thank you to Primeval for the awesome music from the Age of Hell soundtrack absolutely incredible just definitely look forward to that go ahead and get it on i think it's on uh, ndb mod db something like that 
I'll put a link in the episode notes and make sure you check that shit out and uh, get ready to get on it as soon as you humanly possibly can. I got to say thank you to our wonderful supporters. So Paul, Moose Dots, Zach, Alexander, Brad, Red Eyes, Anthony, Robert, Jack, Brandy, Fred, Lord Revan, Tones, Igrex Simon, Immorpher, Brahm, Maria, to you too, I have to say happy belated birthday and also thank you to Yanin and Jeffrey for making two beautiful, wonderful children who uh, are apparently fans of the show. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, say no more. If you would like to be supportive to this podcast, I mean, obviously you can go on our website in thecube.com forward slash support and go any way you want with that. There's Patreon, there's all that kind of shit. I've got to stress that the number one way that you can support this show is to tell people about it. Tell your friends. Like, review, subscribe on whatever podcast distributor that you listen to this on. Whether that be on our YouTube channel, if that's on Spotify, Stitcher, uh, iTunes, whatever. Just leave a review. It, It can be a bad one, it doesn't matter. But if you like it, definitely say something nice. It is greatly appreciated and it really does help. We also have a new affiliate link. I have talked to you guys extensively before about Buzzsprout. I'm not breaking up with Buzzsprout in a bad way. We're leaving on good terms, but I had needs that they could no longer fulfill. Uh, With that, I mean, Buzzsprout is a fantastic service. It always has been, but I have moved on from it because it is not exactly the best thing uh, for saving money when you're publishing multiple different podcasts. If you just want to do one podcast, still highly recommend it. But we have moved the show to a service called Captivate. And our new affiliate link will be to Captivate Services. I'm very proud to be on board with them. Uh, Again, not a paid advertisement, just we're affiliated with them. If you want to start your own podcast, if you're looking into getting into making lots of podcasts, then Captivate looks really damn good to me. I dig it. I really like it so far, and I hope that you will consider, if you want to sign up for it, going through our affiliate link. But uh, that's all I have for you this week. It's been an amazing pleasure to be able to present this to you. I hope you have a wonderful time. Until next time, stay in the keep.